Hello, I'm Ben. Hello, I am Tom. And you're listening to Sunglasses at Night podcast episode 22, I believe. 2001. Absolutely. This We've... is uh, the podcast where we look back through our Ray-Bans, metaphorical and literal, I'm wearing Ray-Bans right now, mm-hmm. at the year gone by, in this case 2001, a year gone by, through the lens of the ARIA charts, aka the Australian Recording Industry Association charts. And ask what the fuck was going on. Lots of questions this year. Oh, exactly. So, as Tom said, we're looking at every number one single from 2001. Who knows what was happening? I can't figure it out. Um, But (laughs) I guess to put some context to that, the songs that people chose to listen to, Mm. you know, it's a reflection of the world around them. What what news, Tom? What happened in this year that that really allowed people to, I guess, <laughs> feel the, you know, what was it in the, in the, happening in the background? Uh, not much in the news this year. No. Nothing that anyone would remember. I can't remember anything. Long. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> Tell me what you got. Uh, a couple of buildings got knocked down by some criminals in America. Ah. Um, half the Western world once and for all very publicly lost its fucking mind. Um, unfortunately, that half was in charge at the time. So as soon as we found out that Saudi Arabia had funded and manned the whole thing, we declared war on two countries that, frankly, had had it too good for too long, but weren't actually Saudi Arabia. Uh, Other than that, what else happened? iTunes came out. Oh. Starting Apple's latest plan to force all their customers to use something they never wanted for 20 years before abandoning because it was crap the whole time, (laughs) which is what's happening now. Uh, In slightly better news, NASA landed a probe on an asteroid for the first time. Sadly, it did not contain Bruce Willis or Ben Affleck, uh, but it was playing Don't Want to Miss a Thing from <laughs> tiny clock radio speakers the entire time, just in case. You know, you don't want to take risks with yeah. that sort of thing. And also, you wouldn't know this from listening to the dick-slapping competition being had by billionaires at the moment, but US businessman Dennis Tito was the world's first space tourist. He paid $20 million to the Ruskies to be allowed to dick around on the International Space Station for a week, just poking knobs, asking scientists what the buttons do. That Fantastic. Sort of thing. That's Eating good. food out of a tube, I guess. Probably stinking place up with some excellent astronaut-level turds that he was drawing. Yeah, no doubt. That would so fit. 20 years ahead of his time. Fantastic. Yeah. We sort of, you know. And what did... Uh, so, Dennis Tito, can you tell me much about his background or not really? Just I you, t- no. He was a businessman, obviously had enough money to just say, here's some coin, I'm flying up to space. He went... NASA were going to do it originally. They were going to let him... And then they changed their mind. They yep. said no. So, he, he found a... Um, he found... Or they stopped doing... They might have stopped doing um, the... The launches, commercial launches at the time. So yep. the Russians were just doing it, and I think he just raised the amount of money he was willing to spend till the $20 bill, like one of those things at the fair where you test your strength and went ding, and then they let him go up. But yeah. 20. Now, I'm surprised they let him hang around on the space station for a week. Yeah. But he, he, maybe he was, he had some, you know, 
status as a observer or something like that that you know I think they said he helped with some of the tests or something like Look, that Look I think that's a pretty sweet deal actually 20 mil to go up 20 years ago hang out for a week yeah, in a space station Yeah in an actual space station none of this cuz yeah high you play you play Bezos like yeah. uh, like a million bucks these days and you're in there for like 5 minutes you get up there you go oh yeah, yeah. you don't even get out of our atmosphere <laughs> do you? I don't know I can't remember who does what but yeah. I know that one of them Branson, I think, just gets up to the sort of mm. the very limits of, uh, is it the stratosphere? I don't know. Yeah, just and enough then just so sort of goes, gravity ah, stops and turns around yeah. again. And it's like, I don't know, bro. I'd rather go to the space station for a week. Oh, absolutely. It's I mean, although fun. as anyone who's been on a caravan holiday knows, yep. six days in a small tube, even if you've got a view of the Earth from orbit, you know, oh, would start to get a bit, you'd be looking at your watch the last couple of days. <laughs> absolutely. shuttle coming again? Uh, and one last thing, yeah. music in music news, uh, Napster was shut down uh-huh. by the Recording Industry Artists Association, not to be confused with ARIAs, even though it's the same acronym. Um, everyone stopped sharing files over the internet once and for all. And yeah. the public respect for Metallica grew by leaps and bounds. So <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's absolutely no way these days to download music no, illegally as no. far as I know. It's it all was like board. when uh, they managed to get the GST through Australian Parliament by John Howard promising uh, that very old senator that he was going to get porn off the whole internet, which he was <laughs> able to convince him because the guy was like 87 and from Tasmania or something. Yep. So, yeah, you know, as everyone knows, you can't share files or get porn on the internet anymore. So, you know, no, I think John Howard, hats off to those pioneers. Definitely right. I mean, a lot of people forget that John Howard Howard, um, you know, effectively, there's no guns in Australia anymore, thanks to John Howard, and there's no <laughs> porn on the internet, thanks to John Howard. So he did a lot of good uh, if you're against those two things, but look, you know, <laughs> apart from that, I can't remember anything about him, to be honest. So. Sure. Uh, look, so a lot of news, a lot of a mm. lot of good things that happened. Look, should we get into the music? Let's what do you say, it. Tom? Yes. All right, so 2001, first song of the year was um, an, an extra week of Wheaters Teenage Dirtbag yep. from 2000. I think we covered Carry that. Over Chant. We talked about that last week. We all agree that we love that song. Fantastic. And it stood it the test of, of time very well. It was incel anthem that was ahead of its time. <laughs> it was an incel anthem ahead of its time, certainly. So after that, moving on to the second, well, the first new song of the <sighs> year. Strong start. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, the year is off to a rough start, Tom. Let's just say that with Gwyneth Paltrow and Huey Lewis cruising for two mm, weeks. First um, movie song of the year. Yeah, and look, you know how we commented that there aren't many or as many songs from films around these days as there were in the 80s and 90s. Well, I'd say that uh, this song is directly responsible for that. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if the public at large just heard this and went, oh, what's what's this? Oh, it's from a film. Oh, let's never have any (laughs) songs in movies ever again because this is fucking dog shit. Um, Now... It wasn't I, even a very popular film. No, either. that's what like, I don't it, understand. I don't even know if it got a theatrical release where Look, I was. But. I can't recall much about it, but uh, the song itself is a cover of a Smokey Robinson song for duets. That's the film that you're talking about, Tom. Mm-hmm. And look, the film is pretty shitty. I guess for those that are unfamiliar with duets, and probably most people are, yep. it's a it's a road film directed by Bruce Paltrow, who's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's dad. Yep. And revolves around, sorry, this is quote, revolves around the little known world of karaoke competitions and the wayward characters who inhibit it. (laughs) So 
I don't know a lot about Bruce Paltrow, but I do know that he'd been involved in the industry for quite some time, but had really not made anything of note. No. So you look at his IMDb and anyone under the age of about 80 is just like, I've never heard of fucking any of this stuff. And dare I say, look, he was trying to get this project off the ground for several years and had no interest, but I, I assume that... Once his daughter became the Hollywood star that she is, she signed on for this. And then I guess Bruce was able to say, look, I've got this new film idea. Gwyneth Paltrow's attached and he was able to get the funding to make it. She was really at the apex of her popularity here, Correct, I reckon. Yes. Shakespeare in Love had won Best Picture a couple of years ago, and she won Best Actress. Sliding Doors was huge. Mr. Ripley was huge. Royal Tenenbaums came out this year, and who could forget her timeless 2001 role in Shallow <laughs> Hell? Or, of course, as Dixie Normus in Goldmember. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, people don't forget a thing like that. No, they don't. Look, she was massive at the time. Absolutely no doubt about that. So this film, though, it, um, look, I won't... You know, spoil it. I won't spoil it. I don't, in case you want to go out and watch this, but effectively, it's about it's one of those films where there's sort of three different unrelated storylines, so, okay, yeah. and then they all sort of converge at the end for you know, whatever. So, in this yep. case, it's people who spend their time in karaoke bars across the United States, Tom. So, mm. Huey Lewis, he's a hustler on the karaoke circuit. So, right there, you're saying, Well, that's not a real thing. No, is there anyone that's actually a hustler that sort of travels from town? <laughs> Town to town doing karaoke contests, sort of. No, so, but you could level the same uh, argument at the Sylvester Stallone film uh, Over the Top, which is about <laughs> a man who goes from town to town playing yep. in <laughs> somehow well paid arm wrestling tournaments yeah, that yeah. supposedly <laughs> exist. So, this is sort of the. Or not the, to mention Kickbox of the Dark Kumite, which was based on a biography of a guy who basically invented this entire blood sport that never existed. Never, it was, it was not real, yeah. So, is this the. So is this sort of the over the top karaoke equivalent of over the top or sort of like a color of money style, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah, that's another one too. Yeah. But I gather that uh, being a pool shark is possibly or was a real thing, maybe in the end. playing like professional poker or something. Yeah. So exactly. But in this, so basically Huey Lewis just travels from town to town. He he feigns sort of, you know, this ambivalence to karaoke. Oh, I I don't like it. It's terrible. And then of course he goes up. He's Huey Lewis, so he can sing sure. you know, relatively well, better than most people. So he wins the contest, you know, wins side bets for the people, and that's sort of the living that he makes. Uh, and then he meets his daughter, Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm. So um, I think an old partner dies or something like that. Goes to the funeral. There's his daughter, who he's not seen for decades or whatever. So they start hanging out, going to karaoke contests. So there's that. And then there's two other couples that um, <laughs> do the same thing, I sure. think. You know, a salesman that travels around that hooks up um, with a, a fugitive. So that's always good times. Okay. And then um, Scott Speedman's in this, if you can remember that guy. Mm. And he uh, does some bullshit as well. So effectively, they all end up in Om- uh, Omaha oh, okay. for this karaoke contest. Of course they And do. then in the final sequence, Gwyneth and Huey Lewis team up and do cruising. Yes. Who wins the contest? Fuck knows, because I couldn't be bothered reading to the end of the Wikipedia article, Tom. But mm. I, I mean, I personally much prefer the 1980 William Friedkin Al Pacino film Cruising, yeah. which is about a detective who goes underground to hunt a serial killer through New York's gay S&M leather bars. Mm. The music was by Jack Nietzsche, who also did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Moulin Rouge, and Good. is a fuck side better than a duet by Gwyneth Paltrow and Huey Lewis, as is the song Cruisin' by Coolio, the song Cruisin'. 
cruising by the village people, the song still cruising by the Beach Boy. Uh, I haven't seen any of them, but I'm willing to put my money on the music in the 1973 film Cruisin', the 2014 film Cruisin', or the 1975 film Cruisin' 57, which is a gay porno about dudes getting laid in the 50s, but I imagine still sounds better than the soundtrack to this film. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's a little bit unfair that the original of this is not a bad song. No, no, no. It's a all. great slow jam, and Smokey Robinson's voice is fucking rad. Got to number four on the Billboard chart in 1979. It also has a rad 70s cheese ball massive string section. Yep. Just makes you want to bone down on a leopard skin rug by the fire with a glass of cognac, you know? Absolutely. Maybe Look, someone else, maybe not. Depends <laughs> how you're feeling that night. The song itself is... There's nothing wrong with the song itself. No. It's, I think the problem with this is the two people that are involved in singing it and the context in which it was sung yes. being the soundtrack for a pretty dog shit film. Look, I don't know who bought this. I can't think of anyone who would want to listen to Huey Lewis who... This is not primetime Huey Lewis. This is 15 no. years past primetime Huey also, Lewis. And also, slow ballads weren't his thing anyway. No. His was oh, exactly. party jams. He was and, all hip know. to be square. Yeah. So. Power of Love is a curious thing. Exactly. Now, look, we have spoken about Huey previously on the podcast. He's yep. had a few hits back in the past, uh, but we haven't spoken about Gwyneth at all. And obviously the reason <laughs> for that is because she's not a fucking musician or a singer to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I guess the question I want to ask, Tom, is Gwyneth a total cunt or is she sort of more of a lovable troll? Because the <laughs> shit that she does these days is so completely ridiculous and must be done for the sole purpose of pretty much just pissing people off and making money. Yeah, it's a bit hard to sell, isn't it? She's got a weird vibe. Yeah. Like even, you know, not that I read them much, but when I come across uh, things that mention her in sort of, you know, websites which are targeted more at women or like women magazine articles referring to her or something like that, they often seem undecided about whether she is bad for women in general by being a rich, entitled, ultra-privileged white woman with whose wealth has made her go basically nuts, yeah, who, and who's disappeared up her own vagina on a cushion of you know lavender scented candles, yeah, or whether she's like you say, like she's kind of a self-made sort of person who's off on her own weird journey, and she's kind of just you know, and also she's kind of harmless generally, yep. like. Apart from some of the shit on her website. Oh, yeah, of course, like, yeah. But know, that's what I wonder. She's not a, she's not a Scientologist. No, you know? no, She's no. not a QAnon believer or something like that. But that's what I don't know. Does she sort of go, I'm legitimately selling people actual solutions to problems? Yeah, or does she sort of she know to herself, look, this is stupid shit. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, it's funny. I used to have the same question about Oprah. Back in the day, yep. there was this thing of like, is she just sponging off these people? Because like her audience was from like a different, she's yeah. a very rich person taking advantage of a middle to lower class demographic of people and, you know, making a lot of money off them. And the question being, is she, you know, does she actually care about these people? Is she, does she really like this stuff or is she just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, look, it's hard to know. But look, I think... <laughs> Yeah, when we look at Gwyneth's past, I mean, we we thoroughly, I mean, I don't know about you, but I certainly loved her in Hook. 
Shout, Cruel Doubt, Deadly Relations, Malice, Flesh and Bone, Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle, Higher Learning, Jefferson in Paris, Hard Eight, The Pole Bearer, Shakespeare in Love, Hush, <laughs> Shallow Howe, Searching for Deborah Winger, Austin Powers in Goldmember, View from the Top, the Sky Captain in the Wood of Tomorrow, Proof, Infamous, Love and Other Disasters, Running with Scissors, The Good Night, Two Lovers, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Glee, the 3D movie concept, Contagion, very topical these days. Thanks for sharing. Iron Man 3, Varunga, uh, Mordecai, Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids, Spider-Man Coming Home, and Coldplay, A Head Full of Dreams. But recently, she does appear to just be doing less acting work and focusing more on the sort of goop, e-business type situation which showcases expensive products and promotes medically and scientifically dubious treatments including tom vaginal steaming jade (laughs) eggs which are also known as vaginal eggs coffee enema devices and body vibes wearable stickers that she claimed (laughs) rebalance the energy frequencies in her body and the goop also claimed that nasa developed the material to make those Goop actually settled a lawsuit regarding the health claims as it over the jade eggs. And uh, there's also a Netflix series of Goop now, which has been declared, quote, a win for pseudoscience. So she does sort of sell some weird shit. How many coffee enema devices do you own, Tom? I don't think pseudoscience needs a win. It seems to be doing pretty fucking <laughs> pretty well. well. In fact, I think itself, it might be yeah. on top, in fact. Yeah, but look, in defense of, of um, Gwyneth, what I will say is that she did marry the guy from Coldplay. True. So... Someone had to take that. She, yeah, so she did, and she would have been serenaded with some of the most boring shit imaginable for quite an extended period mm. of time. So perhaps the whole goop scenario that Gwyneth finds herself in now is a direct response to the exposure to Coldplay, <laughs> and none of this is actually Gwyneth's fault. Yeah. Perhaps, and perhaps I mean certainly, prolonged exposure to the music of Coldplay does lead to diminished cognitive function resulting in the inability to derive fact from fiction and the real belief that a coffee enema can result in weight loss. So where are the warnings on the CD cases, Tom? We've got warnings for, you know, bad language, adult themes, you know, violent sort of Mm. content, those sorts of things. But there's no warning that I know of on Coldplay CDs about the music diminishing your cognitive function, making you unable to tell real science from pseudoscience, reality from conspiracy. One minute, Tom, you're listening to Yellow. Mm. It was our sound. It was all yellow. <laughs> the next thing you know, you spent your entire monthly salary on ivermectin. You're claiming the earth is flat and you're storming the Capitol building. All due to listening to Coldplay. Mm. Now, look, the basis for my conclusion that Coldplay does create, you know, di- you know diminished cognitive function, you know, it's, it's based on a sample size of one that being Gwyneth Paltrow, but that seems to be the same level of scientific rigor that she employs for her Goop online store. So despite the fact that I cannot back up my claim with a vast (laughs) weight of imperial evidence, I think, Tom, it still stacks up. Well, I mean, sure. Like, the crossover point from mummy bloggers and mum Instagram into anti-vaxxing QAnon grifter nutbags seems strange from the outside, but Mm. it's very real. There have been several investigations into it. You know, like you say, one minute you're sticking a shiny rock up yourself to cure pleurisy, (laughs) and the next minute you're marching past my apartment next to a guy waving a sign that says, put the satanic pedophiles in the COVID camps, which is a real sign I saw an actual human being carrying last week. So, and we're in Australia. What yes, that that's what I mean. Yeah. But look, Tom, I'm not sure where the COVID camps are, but apparently the Senate pedophiles need to go there. Perhaps. I think um, Sovereign Hill. I think. Oh, exactly, okay. That yeah. would make a certain um, amount of sense. Yeah, but look, all of this to me does answer the question 
you know, who the fuck listens to Coldplay? I've never really oh, known that. God. I've always sort of wondered that. And it does appear that perhaps it's not the listener's fault. It's just the fact that they've maybe bought an album, been gifted an album, they've listened to a song here, a song there, <laughs> and their brain is so destroyed that now they have no ability to determine good from bad, mm. which is why they're buying up Coldplay and BTS collaborations as if this isn't the worst music to be released in the last two decades. <laughs> and look, Goop style, Tom... I think that we will be launching the podcast. We're going to be launching a scrotum steaming device that I promise will restore brain function after prolonged Coldplay exposure, um, as well as some anal beads for the ladies or the guys as well. So there you go. So that's what we'll be releasing soon. Get the Kickstarter up and running. My scrotum has been too wrinkled for too long. I yep. want it to be paper flat and yep. smooth. Well, we've got a, as a sheet of glass for sure. It's um, the the scrotum steaming device also works as a coffee sort of enema <laughs> um, and sort of just a stovetop coffee maker. So well, it all works together. That'll I cure. Do you need to lose weight? And if I can achieve that in the length of one quick visit to the toilet, then yep. I'm all for it. For sure. So I think this device will, uh, you know, reverse brain damage from Coldplay and I think just reverse brain damage in, in general if you've had you know mm. been involved in some sort of car accident and you've got an acquired brain injury scrotum steamer you'll be good <laughs> as new in a few weeks you'll be the CEO of a major company sure. by the year's end maybe even Prime Minister of this country so uh, any lyrics that are good in the I, I assume there are because you know the song itself Smokey is Robinson's. fucking garb yeah. but you know but that's the singers not the actual songs uh, baby tonight Belongs to us. Everything right. Do what you must. And inch by inch we get closer and closer to every little part of each other. Ooh, baby, yeah. <laughs> now, remember that in the film, Gwyneth's character is singing this to her dad yep. in a film directed and produced by her real dad. Yeah. Cruise with me, baby. Ooh, yeah, ooh. Ooh, baby, let's cruise. Let's float. Let's glide. Let's open up and go inside. <laughs> mm, it's the perfect Shit. song to end a touching romantic father-daughter duet if your name is that's <laughs> Donald what, Trump. I think that's worse <laughs> than uh, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. <laughs> it is a very do- yeah. I think that's something that Donald Trump would probably try and sing to his own daughter. <laughs> very um, romantic. It is, absolutely. Look, um, I always thought that, yeah, as I said, Aerosmith, Don't Want to Miss a Thing was one of the weirder, creepier songs in a song uh, in a film just due to the context of Aerosmith singing the song yeah, but about least, the daughter. At but at this least is in the video, he, Stephen Tyler isn't actually no, singing exactly. it to Liv Tyler. Yep, this, yeah. is, this is significantly worse. So, um, look... I think I don't want to say that this is the worst of the decade by any stretch, but it's probably one of the worst of this year, yeah, as far as I know. It's not great. Anyway, should we forge ahead and see if sure. uh, I'm right or not? Yeah, so, from one, our first movie, first song of the year is a movie song. Oh, to sorry, the second Tom. song of the year. Real quick, I should point out that. Um, oh, yeah. 300,000 listeners Gwyneth Paltrow has on Spotify. <laughs> Huey Lewis and the News have 3.9 mil. And this costs you $2, so that's one of the that's, more expensive Yeah, numbers. surprisingly. Maybe because no one saw the film or bought it at all and <laughs> they, then yeah. burnt all of the copies. They, must, they obviously pressed up enough to get it to number one in Australia, but I'm not quite sure how. But anyway, let's move on. So, yeah, as you said, Tom, another film into another film song. Song number two. This is Leanne Rimes, Can't Fight the Moonlight. I've forgotten this one. For six back. weeks, yep. yeah. Film Song Central. Featuring the theme to one of the finest films of the millennium, probably so far, Coyote Ugly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you seen Coyote Ugly, Tom? I sure have. 
Open at the night, cinema, of course. Yep, yep. at the cinema, Front for sure. Um, look, this is Leanne's only number one in Australia, but she did have a top ten hit from her debut album, Blue. Mm-hmm. Leanne also was in Coyote Ugly performing uh, the song. Yes, she was. So, Tom, if you're unfamiliar with the plot, what can you tell me about the <laughs> film? Can you do? You, can you recall enough to um, sort of? It was, as I recall, it was a real refreshing take on the genre <laughs> of yeah something i would never really seen before it was about a, a small town girl mm. uh, living in a lonely world yep I think she took the uh, midnight bus going anywhere ended up in the big smoke yep she had dreams of being a musician if yeah, I'm that's right. correct yeah and yeah a and, songwriter I think yeah, mm, so. I think she struggled for about a day and a half yep. and then she found an incredibly hot guy who was into her and a music career by the end of the week if yep. I remember correctly correct so I think you're abs- you've are you hit the nail on the head there Tom so you moved to New York City if you haven't as a songwriter if you haven't really you know reached all of your goals within 48 hours then something's <laughs> gone awry that's right you don't have to work for a long time for anything but fortunately she was able to get a job at the hottest bar in town which was called Coyote Ugly, mm. where a series of scantily clad young women danced on the bar for tips. So that's sort of how she was able to sustain herself mm. while, you know, so she'd get up on the bar with some other young ladies that dance, I'd like pour jugs of water over their cans yep. and get tips. And that was enough to sort of keep her afloat yes. while she pursued her songwriting career. Now, what happens at the end? You'll just have to watch to find out. I don't well, want to give it away. No I'll spoilers on this show. One small hint. Yep. Uh, nobody takes their clothes off. No. Because this movie <laughs> is PG as fuck. <laughs> yep. Also, frankly, the concept of Coyote Ugly, which is a real bar, or it was at the time, sounds in reality, about as appealing as the bar run by Tom Cruise and Brian <laughs> Brown in the film Cocktail. I mean, sure, those twats take 15 minutes to make a fucking Bloody Mary, assuming it doesn't end up in someone's hair while yep. they're throwing it around. But at least they don't start dancing on the bar, kicking drinks into people's faces. Yep. I mean, some people, sure, might be into that if there was nudity involved or at least bare feet. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino <laughs> but for your average pundit it sounds more like the kind of tourist ridden hellhole you know where you would go to the city people say oh you have to try this bar then you end up waiting an hour to get a drink and then a dude with a pop collar knocks it over while he's trying to convince an 18 year old to do a shot of Maduri out of her cleavage yeah. or something but yeah it, it does it really doesn't sell the concept very well no look Tom I'm not a big fan of when you go to a bar and there's not a lot of patrons but it still takes 90 minutes to get a drink and I feel like yeah. that's what would happen at Coyote Ugly because it's like oh can I get just whatever your tap beer is and they're just like oh we've got to get up on the bar and do a 30 minute routine and then I'll jump off and I'll make it for you after that it's like for fuck's sake I don't want to see this particularly American idea of like forced bonhomie that like people want to go to a restaurant where every hour the staff get marched out at gunpoint and forced to do a line (laughs) dance or something and that somehow the people in the bar will be able to convince themselves that they just spontaneously do this at the top of the hour, every hour, all night, and they're too totally yeah. into it, you know. Well, as we learned, Tom, um, Lone Star restaurants didn't really succeed in Australia, did they? No. Like, where they made people come out and do a, a dance routine. And no, sort of... a friend of mine worked at one of those when she was younger, and like she said, it was a fairly grim experience for all involved. At least in a theatre restaurant, you get to pretend to be a vampire. You <laughs> know, true. And indulge You've got enough makeup that people mm. won't recognise you on the That's streets. Right. In but, fact, it's yeah. probably the closest thing you'll get to being a professional actor in the Australian music, yeah. uh, film industry to be <laughs> honest 
Definitely. Yeah. But I guess the, the thing about Lone Star is that they didn't make you pour a jug of um, iced water over your tits, which no, Coyote Ugly, no. I think they did appear to. I mean, if you're you going to pour a jug of iced water over your tits, why not have your tits out and then at least you can get paid stripper money? You might make $2,000 a night, you know? Yeah, I don't These know. These people what... are doing this for, you know, normal wages in a bar and then you get cold yep. water down your leather snakeskin top or whatever you're wearing. Yeah, exactly. I'm not quite sure what sort of quantity of money they were making in the in the bar on Coyote Ugly oh, but it was enough oh it'll be tips it's yep. America you know now can you remember uh, where the name of the bar came from Tom I can unfortunately okay. can you remember what it was uh, vaguely something about chewing your arm off or something it's, Is it? yeah it's when you go home with someone like and you have a one night stand and you wake up in the morning and they're so ugly that you want to try and chew your own arm off so you can get away good which I like because it really promotes the idea that not only when you go to this bar will you wait a very long time for a drink, yep. but even if you do manage to get drunk, you'll probably make decisions so bad that you want to physically harm yourself yep. rather than ever go there again. So you know. Do you think uh, in real life anyone has actually had sex with someone so unappealing that they have chewed their own arm <laughs> off? Or Because I sort of thought to name your bar after that, you'd want at least one sort of... <laughs> Even if it was out of Germany or something hey. like, oh, there was a, you know, in Dusseldorf, a guy bit his own arm off, because, you know, but I can't imagine in real life <laughs> anyone waking up and sort of looking to the side and going, holy shit, I'm going to like bite my own arm off. Wouldn't you just pull your arm out and like run away or something like that? I don't know. Just seems far-fetched to me a little bit, you know, it, it puts this film into fantasy territory for me. You know, did I'm not a big ever, fantasy fan. Did you ever see a show called Man Stroke Woman? No. It's quite a good, it was a British, short-lived British sketch comedy show that starred a bunch of people who have gone on to do better things now, including Nick Frost from oh, Simon yeah, Keith yeah. There was this one sketch where he, Nick Frost sort of wakes up bleary-eyed in the morning and he like looks over and there's this big sort of this overweight lady in bed next to him sleeping and he's like, oh, and you see him sort of winces and he like looks over and he's like, he slowly like wiggles his arm out and like creeps out and rolls out of bed and then gets up, slips his shoes on and like tiptoes down the stair of this flat and like... Just gets to the front door and he opens the front door and then she appears behind him and then he looks around and she goes, are you going to drop the kids off at school this morning? <laughs> 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 it's the whole sketch. It's only about 20 seconds long. <laughs> That's and, how I like my sketch. It's 20 <laughs> seconds long. I thought, well, no. And what people don't realise, that was the source material for Coyote Ugly, I think. So they sort of, they developed that into 90 minutes of like, That sketch count, was so. funnier than this entire movie. Oh, yeah. I don't know whether believable, this is, yeah, frankly. Yeah, exactly. Look, so... Getting back to Leanne herself, Leanne Rhymes, she's effectively the first Taylor Swift. And by that I mean uh, a country star, young country yes, star, yeah. that was very young when she had some country hits and then crossed over into the mainstream by, I guess, moving from a more country yeah. style into a pop star, which is what Taylor Swift has done and built her career yep. on. But uh, Leanne Rhymes, she won a Grammy when she was 14. That is pretty amazing. It's pretty uh, good. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it was a few years after... Um, Shania Twain had done a similar thing, but she yeah. was way older, like you say, and she was married to a fucking music. Oh, manager. exactly. I mean, That's Leanne cool. Rhymes was effectively she was a mm. child when she yeah. sort of released these and songs in a country. Also, style. I mean, she's a very she's very pretty, but she's not sort of like movie star. Looks like Shania Twain or Taylor Swift. Crew, not not yeah. to reduce a person to their image, but I mean, she doesn't have she doesn't look like someone who could be headlining a. A, a pop concert Taylor Swift is significantly know. more marketable I think in yeah, that sort of sense yeah she could put her in any genre and she would look fine but Leanne Rhymes sort of she you know she looks like a country and western singer and then she you know she made it across to the 
the pop charts as well. And like you say, I mean, 14, getting a Grammy when you're 14. Yeah, and she was and she was in the film. Is that right, Tom? Like she, she was. Yep. Yeah. Um, she originally auditioned for Coyote Ugly to sing the song at the end with mm-hmm. the actress Piper Parabo, who stars in the movie and not much else. No, but, has she been in anything <laughs> subsequent to this? I'm not sure. It also starred a young Australian guy who was going places, but I'm not sure where those places were because <laughs> I haven't been to any of them. Probably something on you know Disney Kids. Anyway, she was going to sing the song at the end with the actress Piper Parabo, but after watching cuts from the film, she decided to provide the singing voice for all of the songs sung uh-huh. by Piper Parabo. Now, the word decided is doing a fair bit of heavy lifting there, Ben. What do you reckon actually happened there? Oh, look, I'm not in the industry, Tom, but I effectively, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone said, Piper, those uh, vocal skills are not up to... You know, we also mm. got auto-tune at this stage, so the fact that yes. they couldn't auto-tune them into shape says something about Piper's singing ability. Yeah. So I guess they just said, look... How about you just do the acting? You you yeah. can have the jug of cold water on the cans and we'll get Leanne in to do the actual vocals. Yeah, she didn't even do much of the cans work. It was no. mostly, they had a sort of background, you know, actress slash models to do all that stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. I will say one thing for Gwyneth, by comparison to this, when you do see her... Uh, at the end, she's obviously, they've obviously overdubbed the singing, but it's her singing, and she yep. does have quite a nice voice. Like, she has a, you know, a, she has the voice of someone who would impress you at karaoke if yeah, they busted yeah. that out. You'd be like, wow, that person can actually sing. Whereas, presumably, Piper Parabo was not even good enough to make it into the final of this. Or maybe, who knows, maybe they just thought, fuck it, we've got Leanne Rhymes, why not? We've, got Le- we've paid Leanne for the song, yeah. let's use it. Why fight the moonlight? Well, why know? fight the moonlight? And look, that does bring up the next question, Tom. Can you fight the moonlight? <laughs> because it's sort of, Leanne has suggested that you can't fight mm. the moonlight. And perhaps the case may have been that in 2001 you couldn't face the moonlight. Yeah. But I'd, I sort of have a feeling that if I look at one of the space lords we have today, you know, your Elon Musk, your Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to take on the moonlight, <laughs> especially Bezos. I sort of have that feeling that, you know, if he figured out that he could actually fight the moonlight, that Leanne said If someone said that told him the moonlight said, had yeah. a bigger dick than him, then... Oh, exactly. Yeah. If someone said, look, you've got to take on the moonlight, if you can somehow reflect that moonlight away from Earth mm. and then, say, charge Earth a monthly fee to gain access to the moonlight then you'd say that he'd definitely do that. And I'm 100% sure that the moonlight... I mean, you know, I don't think the moonlight would necessarily be over... You know, be able to overcome, sorry, a Jeff Bezos-style giant mirror to reflect that away, fighting the moonlight, taking it on. And I think that, you know, technology... I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon are currently working on that so that one day all of these guys will be battling the moonlight. And my bold prediction is that eventually they will figure out how to defeat the moonlight and, you know, a monthly fee will be required by us to access the moonlight. Mm. Although I'm sure it'll be bundled with Amazon Prime probably. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I just think that these guys eventually will take on the moonlight. Yes. Or figure out how to put some sort of logo on it, Batman style, possibly. Yep. That that might be another option. But will, yeah. will Leanne look silly then? You think <laughs> if if Bezos or one of those other guys sort of says we can fight the moonlight, and then they reflect it off into space, will Leanne be like, "Fuck," you know? Although, we'll, pay some ad agency to say, "Hey, why fight the moonlight when you can 
click on the moon and order directly from Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Well, they'll just they'll have their warehouses on the just moon by then. Just lift your finger on a full night sky and wiggle it towards space, and yep. our drone will come directly to your location. For sure, you'll be ordering some Lego for your kids or something, <laughs> and it'll just be a rocket fired from the moon straight <laughs> at your house and sort of drop it off. So, look, that's the future. So, I'm looking forward to it. What about the lyrics? There must be a lot of great lyrics. Um, this was originally written by Diane Warren, was it? who just comes up Jeez. pretty much every fucking year. Yeah. She's a hit factory slash shit factory that keeps <laughs> punching out product. Uh, <laughs> if I could turn back time, don't want to miss a thing, no, nothing's going to stop us now, etc. Her song list on Wikipedia is literally 20 pages deep. Yeah. Uh, this was the sort of song that helped... Leanne Rhymes' transition from a country star to the pop charts as well, I suspect. Yep. Unfortunately, lyrics weren't really Diane's main strength. Um, you can try to resist, try to hide from my kiss, but you know, but you know that you can't fight the moonlight. Deep in the dark, you will surrender your heart. Now, Ben, you can't be deep in the dark and in the moonlight. No. That's what moonlight means. The kicker is in the word light, yep. which is 50% of the word. <laughs> Also, this would be hella creepy if it was a guy singing it to a girl or a girl singing it to her dad at karaoke, but you know, <laughs> there's quite a lot of pop songs like that, so you know, not going to go bat against that, but yeah. Oh, look, this is the best song so far this year <laughs> described, I think, but... Yes, it's more listenable than Gwyneth covering Smokey Robinson, sure, even yeah. though Gwyneth's voice, I reckon, wins on points, but yeah. Oh, indeed, no doubt. Okay, or so Piper Parabo's voice. Oh, for sure. Look All up right, next. What's up next? Um, Eminem featuring Dido Stan ah, for one week. Yep. Now, this is considered to be one of Eminem's best songs. In which case, I'd hate to hear his worst. I don't really know. Like, <laughs> you don't this, a fan of this uh, one? This one's it, it's a bit too it it go. I think Eminem and I'm admittedly not a big fan. Like in terms of, I don't know his entire body of work, but oh, me he sort of falls into either the playful, wacky, fun-loving stuff or some fake emotional bullshit. Yeah. And this one fits into that sort of emotional... Sure, sort of yeah, trash. certainly towards the end, yeah. I don't know, I just think he probably should have stuck to songs where he gives shit to Moby, I don't know, <laughs> is that sort of how it goes? But, sure. Uh, look, so this the, the sample from this song is from a, a Dido song from, I think it's only a year ago, so he's sort of yeah. effectively taken that. And then Eminem raps a story about an obsessed fan. So that's, yep. I guess, the basis for this song. They're sending letters back and forth. And then I think there's a there's a twist at the end, isn't there? There's a bit of a sort of twist where Eminem's like, oh, dude, yeah. I read this thing about how, you know, a guy drove off a cliff or something with his girl, pregnant girlfriend in the back and Eminem's writing this and he's like, oh, shit. He realizes yeah. that that's the dude he's been writing back the, and forth to. Stan doesn't, isn't, getting his replies or something and yep. he thinks he's not replying to him so then he starts emulating his stuff he apparently intended it for this song to be a message to fans who had written him disturbing letters indicating that they'd taken the Slim Shady LP's violent lyrics seriously the ones where he talks about fantasising about murdering his ex-wife about killing his kids about all this sort of thing it's all a joke uh well, yeah, sure. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> like gangster rap, it's a joke when you need it to be for legal reasons and yep. so forth. Another reason M claims he wrote this was to make the critics who were saying things about me feel stupid. His aim was to disprove those who felt he lacked talent and relied purely on shock value. Um, in a 2011 
uh, Shade 45 appearance, he revealed that there was originally a verse where Stan got out of the water, he escaped and came to my house to kill me, then I had to kill him first, but I missed him, and he was in the hospital for like three weeks, then he was pissed off that I didn't write him get well cards, so he came to kill me again, and the last verse I finally just blew his head off. <laughs> Sounds like a Friday the 13th style epic where it's sort of <laughs> Stan just keeps coming back and then this could yes. be a horror franchise. Well, similarly, in 2013, he released a follow-up in the form of Bad Guy wherein Stan's younger brother, Matthew, avenges his brother's death. Oh, good. Which is like a Friday the 13th all over itself. <laughs> is. <laughs> I mean, he, he used to go on stage wearing a hockey mask with a chainsaw, yeah, so he, he probably does have a, a love for those white trash classics. Oh, look, I'm glad there was a sequel to this, so definitely... <laughs> Look, um, I guess what's interesting at this stage is that Eminem had sort of crossed over from, well, I don't know how I get, look, he took a few years of working the underground, as we learned in the film 8 Mile, until he <laughs> sort of became a mainstream rapper. So yeah. by this stage, he's, he's very, very big. So, oh, yeah. I think after his first LP, he was yeah. huge already. And so, 8 Mile came out and just cemented it. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess that raises the question, how was Eminem able to overcome the much maligned white rapper stereotype mm. and not just become commercially viable, but also critically acclaimed? Yeah, we've sort of mentioned this before, but what do you think? Uh, well, I guess... There's a couple of things. First of all, white rappers relied heavily on gimmick. Up so to this point, Vanilla sure, Ice yeah. was sort of, oh, look, at I can dance and I've got a flat top and, yep. oh, I'm a, you know. But <laughs> generally, they didn't really have that much talent on the mic. So no. Vanilla Ice as a rapper was significantly shitter than the best, you know, African-American rappers yeah. at that, that same point. Yep. So the talent wasn't there. Whereas I think Eminem's probably as a, a lyricist and as an MC was as good as the other guys that sort yeah. of, whether he was, you know, in terms of He's the underground great. people. So I think that he yeah. sort of brought a, a better level in terms of his quality on the mic. So there's that. He was just better than the other shittier white rappers beforehand. Yeah. But also, he also aligned himself with Dr. Dre, so who produced his first yeah. LP. So I think that, and Dr. Dre, even by the late 90s was sort of a hip-hop legend, I guess. Oh, so 100%. Was, you know, in yeah. NWA, et cetera, and it had a lot of solo work by that stage and produced a lot of... Stuff, other, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'd say that, you know, it's probably a bit of column A, a bit of column B, you know, that I don't know whether Eminem looked at Vanilla Ice and went, oh, shit, <laughs> I need... The, how do I get credibility by, you know, aligning myself with a certain yeah. person? But whatever the case was, by this stage, people didn't look at... Eminem is a shitty white novelty rapper. He was a legitimate sort of artist. Yeah. So. I think the fact that also he was smart enough, either deliberately or just by his nature, to embrace his own white trashness. Yeah, true. In a way that, for instance, Kid Rock would try and imitate mm. by pretending that he didn't grow up very wealthy <laughs> yeah. in just the upper middle class suburbia and then pretend he was white trash from Detroit or whatever. Yep. Whereas Eminem actually was, you know, he did grow. And I think that added legitimacy to, you know, you will always get two twenty 20% bonus points from music reviewers if they think that you 
sincere, whatever they imagine that to mean. <laughs> you know, in Britain, it means if you're working class, you get twenty percent bonus points over someone middle class, regardless of your music quality, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Because they're just more legitimate by being working class. Whereas, yeah, I guess if in America, in the rap world, if you're poor and you came up hard, then it, you know, yeah. I mean, that's all 8 Mile is, really. It's just yeah. a giant commercial for how shitty his life was until he managed to get anyone to listen to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like an hour and a half of him getting beaten up and shat on and then five minutes of him winning at the end. Yeah, but, yeah, definitely. So, look, I think you're absolutely right. It's sort of the fact that he did have a legitimate backstory that, you know, people... Because I, so, I think yeah. there's, a, there's an element of, yeah, authenticity in hip-hop and clearly... Being from the streets is considered to be yeah, and you also, get more respect. But also, more. he's a canny enough operator to bring yeah. that into oh, his music yeah, and do like songs like this, which are about the way he had already been using murder fantasies and revenge fantasies against his yeah. child support and stuff. You know, it's like yeah. Anyway, the song introduced the term "stam" as a verb and a noun. Mm. Meaning a huge and/or obsessive fan, which is now in the Oxford Dictionary. Is it really? It's, I find it annoying as piss, but maybe I'm just old. It's one of those words that starts off in hip hop terminology, and then white people start using it as a joke, and then it's on Twitter. And yeah, do you think it's good when rap lyrics or teenage Twitter terms pass into common parlance? Maybe I'm just old. Um, it depends whether the first usage of that term was, say. <laughs> 2012 and then <laughs> Oxford have put it in there in 2013 yep. you need a few years I think yeah because yes. some of these terms come in and out very very That's quickly true. Sometimes so it gets, they definitely get ahead of themselves yeah, yeah and they put it in there as like this is a new term we need to add to the dictionary <laughs> and in 18 months Young people are like that's shit. No one uses that. <laughs> yeah, term, I think so. I think they do it sometimes just to get the Oxford English Dictionary on the the wacky part yeah. at the end of the news. You know, Look, like hey, the Oxford <laughs> Dictionary <laughs> announced that free balling is now. <laughs> All the kids are saying free balling yeah. this year. Did Bodacious make it in the Oxford <laughs> Dictionary? Is that I'm in there? Pretty that's sure it was in there last year. Yeah, that's good. I think it's yeah. I think it's good when they're inventive or they cover untrodden territory, like milkshake duck, for instance. But the problem with Stan is. Is that it really just means fan, which is already a word. Yeah. That, but anyway, who knows? Uh, okay. Oh, look, What's spoiler next? alert. What's he up to now? Well, spoiler alert, Eminem has had numerous number one singles in Australia. Oh, I would have so thought so. we will get to talk about him several more times. I'm time. kind of surprised this is the first one, actually. Like, yeah, absolutely. On, it must have been the alt charts, but the first couple of albums had huge hits on them. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, I was surprised as well. Um, this is not one of my favourite ones, but I think that... It did have that element that he does employ a little bit later where this is obviously he's taken a sample of that Dido song and that was yeah. the sort of hook. Yes. But then later on in his career, he does team up with more pop stars. So he does a few duets with Rihanna, I think, and other uh, things okay. like that. So it's sort of rather than just him doing his rapping for the whole song, he'll do his verses and then he'll get in like a guest to sort of do yeah. a, a hooky sort of pop vocal which some people were probably feeling others less so but he certainly has success with 
this formula in the future where it yeah. sort of has a female hook involved in yeah. with that rapping. It's, so. it's probably more common in rap music now. Than, I'm not saying people copied him, but it's no, that no. formula definitely, especially with the crazy auto-tune. Yep. At least Dido can sing the actual chorus. Oh, exactly. Look, personally, I know a lot of people prefer Eminem's older material. Yep. Uh, I know. I think that's sort of certainly something that I hear a lot, but... I sort of feel that he's really developed as an artist over the years, expanded his sound, his ability as a rapper. He's really sort of honed his MC skills while staying true to his hardcore roots. And for me, all of that's evidenced in one of his more recent tracks, River, which is a duet with Ed Sheeran. So, Tom, look, it's a very emotional track. And is there anything more street level than an Ed Sheeran duet? Well, hang, on, think so. hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold on there, hold on. Look, it's very easy <laughs> to mock Ed Sheeran. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> But there's no but. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm just saying it's extremely it's easy. Extremely to walk easy each yes, year. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I personally, I prefer his earlier stuff when he didn't take himself quite as seriously and talked about rooting Spice Girls and yelling at Moby. Well, it seemed to be, it seemed to be a bit more fun, and then it was sort of yeah. like, I've got to be all serious. Like now. recently, he got all caught up in political stuff, which I can understand why. Like, you know, I, I wasn't a Trump fan either, but I think he just kind of. It was just sort of preaching to the choir to the extent that people... Sometimes artists get to that point where people are like, just take your money and enjoy it for a bit, you know? Maybe give us a couple of years, then come back with something. You don't have to be in the news constantly. (laughs) But do people necessarily know which side of the fence? Uh, I'm sort of, you know, was it so obvious that Eminem would be an anti-Trump guy? Because you look at someone like Kid Rock, who's clearly the polar opposite of that. So until, I mean, I sort of thought that that... Rat, you know that you know purported freestyle he did in the car park or whatever it was about being you know liberal and all that sort of stuff. Like it did seem a bit whack, but at the same time, you know I don't necessarily know no. what side of politics Eminem or a lot of other people I stand for. I think he's for. a very smart guy, but he guards himself in interviews a lot because that's what hip hop is about. Mm. It's so much about image maintenance that you know you can't just. Go off, and I think that's also why he doesn't trust his older funny stuff as much as he used to, yeah. because it it, it it now there's a certain level of um, look, um, you know, lack of dignity about it. But you know, yeah, and but but and I think he's just too smart to be definitely know, a kid rock. <laughs> oh, for sure. Look, before we move on to the lyrical highlights, Tom, I sure. remember that um, Eminem, Vanilla Ice once stated that Eminem stands for Mini Me. Is in uh, Vanilla Ice was sort of trying to claim that, that Eminem had, had oh, used sure. the name. Yeah, sure. Do you think that's spot on? Is that on the mark? That you know, sort of Vanilla Ice hey, was, look, was was I guess the archetype of this, and Eminem's just copying him. Is get that... back to me when Vanilla Ice has managed to maintain his musical credibility while doing a duet with Ed Sheeran. That's true, you know, yeah, because. Absolutely. That's, he didn't do that, easy. and not a lot of people think he's got no. credibility. <laughs> how, how are they doing? Um, how's he doing these days? He must have shit tons of Spotify people. Eminem? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell, absolutely. Um, you're not going to believe this. 44 million. Fucking hell. I think that's the most we've ever had. That must be. On Good the podcast. Lord. So, yeah. 44 mil, and, and Dido's got 5 mil, which is a lot, because I haven't heard from Dido for a while, but, you know, she's, I'm, sure she's, I'm sure she's still powering around in the background, just oh, sort of not, be not the sort of action this. that I'm listening. But, yeah, 44 yeah. mil is insane. 18 cents for this, but fucking hell, that's crazy. Um, lyrical highlights? Uh, yeah, um, this is the part that is sampled from Dido's 1999 song, Thank You, yep. which originally appeared on the soundtrack to... Oh, 
Uh, sliding Doors, oh. starring old Fanny Eggs Paltrow. <laughs> yeah. Fanny Eggs Paltrow, yeah. My, okay, uh, she says, My tea's gone cold. I'm wondering why I got out of bed at all. The morning rain clouds up my window, and I can't see it all. And even if I thought... Even if I could, it'd all be grey. But your picture on my wall, it reminds me that it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Now, I think her sad voice contrasts quite nicely with the Eminem yeah, verses. Definitely. He said that when he first heard the line about the picture on the wall, he just had an instant image of the whole song in his head. Like yep. he said, sometimes the songs would just come to me like a whole thing. Which I reckon he's actually pretty inspired because... That's not really the sense that the verse is used in the original song. The original song is just about, it's a shitty day, but I see your picture, it reminds me. Whereas he's using it in the sense of someone whose life is bad, but, you know, this person that they look up to, that they imagine themselves to be similar to, in you know, bring, makes their life better. And it fits perfectly here. It just works perfectly at this kind of you know, contrast with this guy who's like a pseudo little tough guy version of Eminem, which I'm sure were exactly like the people who used to send him letters who were just like, yeah, I grew up, I'm in a trailer park like you. I yell at my mum, she's a bitch, so yeah. forth. And then you've got this kind of nice British refrain in the middle, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, of course. And he didn't just sample the chorus of that song either. The hook, he said that this is yeah. the first verse of that that is used repeatedly. So he sort of hasn't necessarily even taken the most hooky part of the song. No, no. It is not the sort of sample that Puff Daddy would listen to and go, that would be a good hip-hop song. Like, there's nothing kind of get up and dance about it or anything. It's just... For sure. So, look, maybe I was a bit harsh on this, but, um, look, it's... uh, Oh, no, I just think it's a... I'm not saying it's necessarily a great song. I think it takes uh, a bit of a musical low-key genius to listen to something like that and then see, oh, I can turn that into something totally different that works perfectly for what I want it to. And I think it's weird that that was his first number one in Australia. Absolutely. Like you say, and maybe a lot of that has to do with the fact that that sample makes it more accessible than just his straight up rap songs that kind of gives it a kind of mainstream thing. And it made her back in the fucking charts as well. There is no way she would have had 5 million listeners now if it wasn't for this fucking song. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. A lot of those, I don't know the details of those Spotify listens, but I wouldn't be surprised if a significant portion were probably just Eminem fans listening to this song and she gets a (laughs) listen as well. So there you go. All right, Tom, moving on to the next song. It's uh, Maya. Is that is is that is it is it Mia Maya? I should Maya? have checked that. It's got a because um, I always it's got an acute because I always thought it was I always thought it was M- M- Maya, but it might be Mia. That acute Mia? might be Mia. Mia? Let's say Mia. Fuck, I should have checked that. That's poor, uh, case of the X. Look, um, <laughs> one of my favourites from the uh, the Lady Marmalade four <laughs> set. The one Maya. who's gone on to have the biggest career out Mia, of all four exactly. Of look, so look, this is uh, this is her first number one in Australia, but she was so close yep. in 1998, so very, very close when she dropped the guest vocals on the track Ghetto oh, Superstar yeah. with Praz from the Fugees and ODB from Wu-Tang Clan. Well, that was a number one, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. That's that's the thing. Wasn't it was it? close. Oh, we talked very, about no, it. Oh, we talked about okay. it briefly, but yeah, yep. never made it to number one. So Ghetto Superstar, that was... That was Mia doing the vocals on that. Um, look, not With sure the what. And ODB. Yeah, exactly. Don't know what ODB was doing, but I gathered he showed up to that video <laughs> shoot naked just so he could get some free clothes. That sort of Fuck. seems to be the way I that he operates. He so, that love that dude. So, which of uh, ODB's aliases did you prefer the most, Ben? <laughs> did you prefer Old Dirty Bastard, yep. ODB, yep. Azon Unique, uh, Dirt McGirt? Uh, <laughs> 
Joe Bananas, Dirt Dog, Osiris, Big Baby Jesus, Old Dirty Chinese Restaurant, <laughs> or Knifey McStab. I was a big fan of Big Baby Jesus, but um, sure, they're yeah. all they're all great. I mean, so. the Big Baby Jesus story. It's it, I, I I'm a big Old Dirty Chinese Restaurant fan myself. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think I've uh, been to that rapper a few times <laughs> yeah, when I was look, hungry. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's awesome that he had 25 nicknames, which is what you want. <laughs> so true. I think, um, I mean, because you look at the other guys from the Wu Tang Clan. I think like Rizza. I don't. Does he have another nickname? Is it? Is it just? It's just Rizza. And I don't they know. do. They're always some self-aggrandizing bullshit. Like I'm going to go by the name Jesus from now on of Nazareth or something, or the Millionaire or something. Nobody has the balls to call themselves. Dirt and McGirt no, exactly right. And even so. old dirty bastard. I mean, if a guy shows up at a party, there's very little behaviour that he could do that you would then be... At, and he introduces himself as old dirty bastard. There's very little behaviour that he could then exhibit where you would be allowed to go, well, look, you've really brought the, the tone down now where you couldn't just say, well, look, my name's old dirty bastard. What do you think I was going to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. So look, massive <laughs> I'm pissed in a punch bowl. I'm old dirty bastard. That's my thing, you know. And that's what I liked about the Wu-Tang Clan. They were, <laughs> they were a sort of a loose collection of guys that mm, got together. And they had room for one absolute freak <laughs> up the back who was with his dick in the potato salad. Definitely right. Um, and they also were one of the first, I think, hip-hop well, probably just artists in general to have a clothing line and then just have a song that was effectively just like a, a PR sort of <laughs> yes. had that rap song, just, which was just telling people to buy woo wear. And I was like, that's mm. great. Is this a commercial? Is this a, whatever? It works well. So, look, I don't know what the better song is, Ghetto Superstar or Case of the X, but Ghetto Superstar also featured in the film Bullworth with a rapping Warren Beatty. Yeah, I believe Mia also tried to get a rapping John Howard on this one. Okay. But apparently, his rhymes were so filthy she had to kick him off the track um, <laughs> also he showed up naked and said he needed money for Louis Vuitton bags oh, yeah. um, on, a, on a more practical <laughs> note this was number two in America on the Billboard Hot 100, which Ghetto Superstar did not manage. Okay. So bad luck, old dirty Chinese restaurant, I guess. Yeah. Because Mia's back and, you know, she's not quite number one, but number two on the Billboard in America is pretty amazing for this song, which is, you know, what do you think about it? Oh, look, I think musically this is very representative of what's to come, but I don't, I wouldn't necessarily, it's either... To be honest, this probably isn't the song that's set in motion this sort of type of music because we spoke no. about Destiny's Child last no. week and Destiny's Child, Say My Name, was a hit and they had a lot of hits and this song, it's sort of a very poppy R&B type song and it could be a Destiny's 100%. Child song. It sounds like it could be a yeah. Destiny's Child song. It was uh, written and produced by Tricky Stewart, Tracy Hale and Tab Nickerney. Yeah, I can't pronounce that. <laughs> Between them, they were responsible for Single Ladies, ah, okay. Touch My Body, What's My Name, and Umbrella for Rihanna, okay. and have written for Destiny's Child, Brittany, Christina, Usher, Bieber, Tony Braxton, and did a whole bunch of Mia's other songs, which is probably why it sounds so similar. In particular, I thought it sounds quite a lot like Jumpin' Jumpin' oh, by Destiny's Child yes. in some parts. Yep. That came out two years prior to this. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, reviews at the time said her voice was a bit weak. There's a sort of tremulous quality to it, like I reckon, which could work in some styles of song, but maybe for this sort of thing, it just does work better if there's three of you backing each other up, you know, like yep. Destiny's Child slash, you know, other girl groups of the time style. Absolutely. Look, no, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, not 
a terrible song by any stretch of the no, imagination, but probably not as memorable as some of those Destiny's Child songs that were being no. released at the same time. But what I will say, Tom, is the music video has been compared to <laughs> Janet Jackson's music video for You Want This and also Mel Gibson's 1979 film Mad Max. <laughs> now, look, I watched the music video, Tom, and I, I've seen Mad Max as well several times, and I can't sure. recall it being 95% dancing, <laughs> nor can I remember such a large quantity of rhinestone pleather halter tops. But, you know, for some reason, you know, that they are very compatible, they are comparable, and but if this is meant to be post-apocalyptic, this video clip, mm. everyone had very nice hair and makeup, I will say. Yeah. I had to say, I thought it looked fucking uncomfortable, to be honest. <laughs> like, it's a pretty cheap video. It's yep. basically just some people dancing in the desert in front of some cars. Yep. They're totally exposed to the sun. There are no clouds. There's no shade or trees to be seen. They're dancing vigorously on top of just a pile of dust using fairly elaborate choreography. There's a lot of doing push-ups in the dust, jumping around. There's a lot of swinging large metal poles around yep. for some reason. And, of course, it's 2001, so all the dancers, who are mostly women, are wearing full-length, low-rise denim jeans, one of the most uncomfortable fashion items I've ever personally worn, yep. with great big heavy belts, big shoes, and visible G-strings, just in case one of them might have escaped from getting a sand-filled wedgie after 10 minutes. Yep. Uh, yeah, it, oh, and also all the guys are wearing giant cross-colours pants and yeah, exactly. baggy black clothes and black baseball caps. It looks like a bit of a nightmare. If It cuts between some shots, and in some shots, my hair looks really well made up, like you said, like she's got a sort of, uh, you know, t sort of semi-perm, like, wave thing. And in other shots, it's, you can see it's just drenched with sweat. Yeah. <laughs> like, they've obviously just been doing this shit over and over again for ages. Yeah. For sure, Tom. And I was thinking less Mad Max and more Kevin Costner, The Postman. Is that what you... I don't yeah. know. <laughs> or, or none of the yeah. above. I was sort of just wasn't really getting any of those post-apocalyptic films, to be honest. But there is one sequence where one of the male dancers sort of um, works his hand around uh, uh, Maya, and then it sort of there's a quick cut just as it looks like he's about to grab her vagina. So oh, I'm not okay. sure what sort of happened there. <laughs> but nothing actionable. <laughs> I don't know whether it's sort of like, uh, this is getting a bit sketchy, but it's sort of, um, it, it wasn't, uh, I sort of watched that and went, I don't, she doesn't appear to be super, you know, something that looks choreographed and she's sort of like, I don't know yeah. whether I'm sort of feeling this. So there might be a Me Too moment coming out of this video <laughs> clip. Let's wait and see. Um, but look, it is good to see that, I mean, obviously she's, a great singer and went on to be one quarter of Lady Marmalade crew. But not only, I think she also worked as a model at some stage, which wouldn't yeah. surprise me. You know, she, she was, uh, I guess has that sort of modelish physique, I guess she's, you know, not unattractive certainly, but she also branched out into acting as well, Tom. Yep. And she had a part in dirty dancing Havana nights, <laughs> which, which I think, uh, <laughs> I don't really know, but certainly that is that, Prop to this point, I'd say the best film in that franchise, <laughs> franchise. So yeah, it's the it's one more, most people think of. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Go. Oh, have you seen you know Dirty Dancing, Havana Nice? Of course, I have. It's like, oh, have you seen the original? <laughs> nah. like, what? What are you talking about? I didn't even know there was a film before Havana Nice. It's that good. But I gather there's another one coming up. So look, she's a, she, I think, triple threat actress, singer, model. Let's see what work she's going to do in the future. Sure. I hope if there is a Dirty Dancing 3, she's involved in that. And uh, look, we may get to talk about her again in the future. I should also point out that the CD single yep. for this uh, song, 
case of the ex, she appears to be wearing like a sexy nurse outfit for okay. no apparent reason, but she's also wearing a white cap with um, Mia, Maya written on the front of it. And I have massive respect for people that wear their own caps. <laughs> I think that's a sick look to just get around with a hat that just has your name just written across the front of it. I mean, that's fucking radical. Oh, tell me, if I went past a shop and they, in the window, had a couple of uh, pony... Uh, high top sneakers with uh, the word Tom written on the tongues Axel Rose in 1995 <laughs> style I'd be paying whatever those fucking things cost regardless oh yeah look I want some of those Axel sneakers <laughs> I don't think they're ever mass produced unfortunately but yeah what about the lyrics to this um okay this is about getting worried when your boyfriend's ex-partner starts calling him up on yep. the phone which was a common um sort of that's uh, the, the girl group kind of yeah uh, uh, lyrical thematical subject yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, now what is it that she wants tell me what is it that she needs did she hear about the brand new bins that you just bought for me because you all didn't have no kids didn't share no mutual friends and you told me that she turned trick when you all broke up in 96 yeah now prostitution aside <laughs> she's not worried that he's already cheating on her yeah which is what it would normally be about. She's just worried that he'll be tempted to cheat on her. Yeah. So the song is one of those ones where it assumes that the man is essentially powerless to resist any invitation to put his genitals into someone. Yeah. Even though the ex-girlfriend sounds like a crazy bitch and he just bought you a hundred grand Crank, car. Yeah, exactly. I don't find that bit annoying on behalf of men or anything, but it does suggest someone who maybe has some trust issues. Yeah, <laughs> I would suggest you've got so, like definitely. you've seen one phone call from someone you used to go out with, and now I'm suspecting that five years of our relationship's about to go down the toilet. <laughs> well, was it that they broke up in '96? Is that what's going yeah, on? Yeah, so I think it's five years on at this point. Yeah, so. she's, she's saying, why? Why would she be calling you? You don't have any kids. You've got nothing in common. You told me she was crazy. Why is your number on her phone? But she's not saying. Are you fucking her? She's saying, are you going to, if she starts asking you to fuck her, will you be able to turn it down? You know, which is weird. It's like on the one hand, she's trusting that he hasn't boned her, but on the other hand, she can't trust him not to bone her. It's a bit strange. Oh, look, I think the, her and Bobby Brown should get together and work it out. Definitely, you know? the phone call could have been about anything. Could have been just oh, I'm, I'm moving house, I'm hmm. cleaning out, cleaning out the apartment, and I found um, some of your old shit, you know, up in the attic, and just thought, yeah. do you want those CDs back or something? He and he's like, say, oh look, yeah, cool. There's ain't nobody humping around. You know? <laughs> there's nobody. Stop humping trying around, to hack exactly. into my fax machine. I've told you, it's, it's not connected to the internet. You can't hack into it you by can't. pressing the buttons on the front. Exactly, exactly. So look, yeah, those lyrics are bizarre. Look, uh, three point five mil for for Mia on mm. the old Spotify. Two cents for this. People aren't loving it on the resale no. market, unfortunately, but look, there you go. Up next, for four weeks, one of my favorite artists of all time, Shaggy, <laughs> featuring Rick Rock, It Wasn't Me. It wasn't him. No, it wasn't him. Now, who, for you, is the real Shaggy? Is it sh- this Shaggy, or is it Shaggy Too Dope from Insane Clown Posse? Do you have a Shaggy preference? <laughs> At the moment, I... I think Shaggy Too Dope would be pulling the larger crowds. Oh, no doubt, yeah. I exactly. don't think Shaggy could headline a three-day, 
lawless Mad Max style festival <laughs> anymore. No. You know, if he ever could. No, no. Even the, in Jamaica, I don't think he could get away with sure. that. Shit. The insane clown posse, they've played the long game and they seem to have a significant fan base these days. So yeah. those juggalos, they're, they're out there. They're I'm, keeping it real. I also suspect Shaggy too, Dope, probably smokes more weed than Shaggy, who is Jamaican. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Shaggy doesn't smoke the weed. I learnt... Uh, recently so he's just <laughs> really? sort of no he doesn't do it so there okay. you go look anyway but power to shaggy i mean he was dropped by his record label virgin Drake. they said get the fuck out and said you know they said look your career's over your last album wasn't a hit we're not going to release any more albums <laughs> look go back to jamaica do whatever the fuck you want so he was given another chance by mca they released this album hot shot and oh yeah just sold a lazy 10 million copies may i just say along with uh songs and films another recurring theme this year is awesome uh record and other executive decisions <laughs> <being> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. people who are supposed to be doing this for a living making really correct decisions um, I was wondering who the fuck Rick Rock is. Oh, yeah. No uh, he's a Jamaican songwriter who basically ended up on the track by accident. Yep. He co-wrote it. They used his voice in the demo that accidentally became a hit, which I think you were going to um, mention. Do you, did you have something yeah, to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So look, just, there was some weird story look, about we'll, how we'll this use, got to be a hit. Yeah, we'll use... Let's just jump into the end. First here, Tom, re-Spotify. Uh, Shaggy has 11 mil. Yeah, we know that Shaggy's got a lot of uh, listeners. Rick Rock fourteen thousand, so not quite the same level. So yeah, so and I gather those fourteen thousand Rick Rock listeners on Spotify every month are probably just listening to this song, perhaps. So <laughs> poor Rick yes. Rock, no one knows who the fuck he is. I've got no idea. Oh, I'm two cents as well, just in case you want to re- buy someone for Christmas. But order now because postage is delayed. Look, anyway, so music piracy has obviously ruined a lot of music careers, Tom. We know that. Yes. So Metallica for one. I mean, Lars had to sell his multi-million dollar art collection due to Napster. We all know that. We know that's what happened. Metallica, you know, Lars was like, I'm bankrupt, got to sell all my art due to those kids downloading my crazy shit off Napster. But Shaggy falls onto the other side of this equation. Mm. So this is a story that I guess is uh, the less told narrative of, of sort of music piracy or whatever. So It Wasn't Me was never originally intended to be released as a single, mm-hmm. but before the original version of Hot Shot was, was released uh, in August, I think, of 2000, there was a Hawaiian DJ by the name of Pablo Sato, and he downloaded the album from, quote, a Napster-like MP3 site that he uh, might okay. name. So he was on the internet, found the, art, the album, the Hot Shots album by Shaggy before it had been commercially released. He listened to it in his car and realised that It Wasn't Me was the standout track on the album. So he just went, this is the best song of the album by far. So he played the song on the American radio station that he worked for in Hawaii the next day. And in an interview, he claimed that, quote, the lines lit up right away within a couple of days as our number one most requested song. Yep. So before the, so he's downloaded this illegally. He's played it before. It's even released. Yep. Everyone's like getting stoked on the song. So based off how popular it was in Hawaii, it ended up radio stations all across America, got a retail release in February 2001, and then eventually became a number one hit just worldwide. So if it wasn't for that dude downloading the album mm. off Napster or a Napster-like MP3 sharing site, um, look, it wouldn't have been a single and Shaggy may not have had this number one hit. Yeah. So really, he should be giving LimeWire some money. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt. On the other hand, this 
contains an uncleared sample of uh, of Smile Happy by a band called War, oh, okay. which he got in trouble for because he wasn't expecting to have to actually use it. <laughs> yeah. So piracy, you know, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, this song was also inspired by one of the many bits from Eddie Murphy's Raw special that have aged super well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so what are the lyrics about then? Let you know, jump in, yeah, Tom. What I mean, look, you you've got some lyrical highlights, no doubt. But I guess the overall vibe of the song or the theme is that yeah. you're in a situation where you caught get caught by your girlfriend banging your neighbour, and then she catches you dicking her, and you just deny everything and say yes. it wasn't me. That was the part from the, the Eddie Murphy yeah. thing. I think, despite the fact, <laughs> despite the fact that you've been caught red-handed, but look, and you know, at the time, Shaggy also liked to outsource most of the actual work to others. I think so. Yep. He does about twenty-five percent of the vocals in this. Yeah, and the other dude, Rick Rock or whatever, wasn't does, even a singer. He just, was just a songwriter. Does, does the rest of it. So, yeah, um, it's fair to say that this gaslighting anthem has a simple <laughs> message. Uh, if you're caught cheating, lie about it until other people start to doubt themselves. Yep. A policy that works extremely well right up to Supreme Court level if you're white, male and rich, but not so much for <laughs> everyone else generally. On the other hand, it's delivered in quite a complicated way. Like, it starts with Rick Rock showing up at Shaggy's house and telling him about how he just got busted boning another woman yep. by his, Rick Rock's, girlfriend. So then the choruses are Rick Rock describing the various circumstances around getting busted, the number of times he got busted, the various sexual positions he employed while getting busted by his girlfriend, who apparently videotaped the whole thing at length and is very patient. And, but then that's interspersed with choruses where Shaggy, in his role as a greasy gaslighting prick, advises him to him Rick Rock to refuse any blame and or consequences and that probably his girlfriend is a psycho murderer anyway. Rick Rock eventually has a change of heart in the final uh, chorus. Uh, Want to tell her that I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused. I've been listening to your reasoning, Shaggy. Yep. It makes no sense at all. <laughs> need to tell her that I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused. You may think that you're a player, but you're completely lost. That's why I sing, yeah. which sounds like it should lead into a final chorus tweet to show some sort of reward or some sort of plan to get his girlfriend back or something. But instead, it just goes back into another chorus of him singing about she caught him fucking on the bathroom floor. <laughs> so it doesn't actually lead to anything at all. Um, yeah, there's a. <laughs> I just have to mention one last thing. Um, I probably shouldn't be advertising any other podcast, oh, but there's can. a podcast called Punch Up the Jam. It's a podcast about music with Miel Bradal that used to feature a guy called Demi Adijuibe, who's a very talented musician and comedian. You might have possibly have seen his 21st of September videos. If you have, you'll know what I mean. He makes these elaborate kind of stunt videos every 21st of September in the tune of that song, you know. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, in the podcast, they would analyse a song. They're both good musicians. And then one of them would perform a pumped-up version, which would be like their own version of the song. <laughs> when they did this song, uh, Demi did a version about a guy who gets busted committing a murder and just denies the murder in court. Like, so it's sort of, <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of shaggy, it's um, <laughs> one lawyer and the other lawyer. But, yeah, it's quite funny. I'll put a link in, but, yeah. Anyway, yeah, fantastic. That's an about that it makes about as much sense as the original to be honest 
<laughs> I'm just glad that the girlfriend had the patience, as you said, <laughs> to film the entire thing. So that, and all the positions. Yeah. Like, there's more than one room involved yeah, in this banging on the sofa, yeah. then banging on the, the bathroom She's got the Sony floor. Handycam. She's yeah. going to the lounge room. He's got her bent over the sofa. <laughs> so what are you done I'm, yet? No, no, it's still going. Well, I think what's more surprising is the fact that um, Shaggy, not Shaggy, well, Rick Rock, didn't see the girlfriend filming him. I think that no, was the sort of thing. No. That sort of, you know, that's because the fact that, you know, she's there with a handicam, several different rooms of the mm. house. That's what I find unbelievable. The yeah. fact that he's banging someone all over the house with her filming the whole thing and he didn't even spot us. Perhaps so. the girl next door was um, visually challenged and yeah. didn't see the girlfriend over the shoulder with the red light going on the handicam, you know. Oh, I guess we, we won't ever really <laughs> who know say, yeah, yeah. Who, who can know but yeah look it All right. raises more questions than answers it provides but great track um, up next Tom holy fuckballs uh, look Popstars season 2 oh yep yep we talked about it last week with Bardo yeah um, and the bar was pretty low to begin with but this is significantly worse than Bardo this is Scandalous with me, myself and I which was number one for oh, three hang weeks on. some sort of alarm's going off <laughs> oh no that's the Axl Rose reality TV show music alarm give me some reggae exactly right look so give me some pop stars so saying. season one of pop stars as we talked about last week was a girl group Bardo, yeah, fucking garbage. Season two, they said, "Look, we're going to allow we we want to create an S Club Seven star mix of guys and girls, uh, yes, yeah, uh, to get a mixed sex group." And the results <laughs> were mixed, to be honest, um, <laughs> ranging from terrible to excruciating. Is that a fair assessment? It's a very fair assessment. Uh, my question for you was, what do you think they gained by removing the letter O from their name? Yeah, I think it's it's scandal. But then US just means US. us. So mm. where the it's scandal. Where the scandal is that right? Should scandal they have us. maybe replaced the apostrophe with a question mark, symbolising what are we doing this for? Or <laughs> perhaps an asterisk, like in Bewitched, symbolising an anus, which I think is what they did in Bewitched. <laughs> Look, the music's awful. The group's terrible, <laughs> and the name just sort of makes you just want to punch yourself in the head, doesn't it? So they were also things. not scandalous in any way. No, <laughs> they weren't at all, Tom. Absolutely not. Look. Um, I'm gonna. I'm got a confession to make. I saw these guys perform in a Woolworths car park, in a suburban Woolworths car park, and I was blown away. I'm gonna say that, Tom. So, and by blown away, what I mean is that I thought that they were going to be shit, and then I got there, saw them perform, perform live, and you know, I was actually surprised because they were so unbelievably shit <laughs> that one could not have prepared for that level of shitness. It was sort of choreographed dance that uh, it looked like a child had done. It was sort of that level, and the vocals were pretty shit. Not that I'm saying that Woolworths car parks generally have the best sort of you know acoustics, but um, I was just like going, "What in the living fuck is this?" I tripped over. Um, just I was looking for the video. There is actually. If you want to see, it, it's lacking the car park element, but there is a, there's a live video of them performing this song. It's on, I think it's like some sort of morning show. Oh, good. And they're, but they're performing from like, it's like the front window of a David Jones with just like <laughs> a pathetically thin sort of two, a two person deep cluster of people around the front. And just like you say, the choreography is something to be seen. Like, yeah, it looks so bad. And look- there's, a, there's a level of choreography where it goes from just bad to... 
you can see in the people's posture that they're not sure what they're doing here and <laughs> yeah. they they are starting to have second thoughts already like oh yeah. no doubt and look i think that even at the time i remember thinking that they'd probably overshot on the venue maybe a best and less <laughs> car park would have been better than a Woolworths car park was it uh, better or worse than the two-man death metal band you saw at the flood wall at 11 a.m when uh... the drummer didn't show up <laughs> um... That's uh, at least those guys were hidden by corpse paint. I suppose yeah, look, you, they, could, you could claim yeah. you could say it wasn't me. Yeah, <laughs> look, they were. Sorry, but the flood ball wasn't me. They were hidden by corpse paint, and I do feel that those guys had a level of integrity that Bardo <laughs> or Scandalous could at never. At least reach. they were doing it for their love of death metal. They were. They were doing it for the love of just for the love of music. I think, God. and they sort of said, "Look, our drummer hasn't shown up, but that doesn't matter. We're <laughs> no. corpse painted up to the max. We're still going to pump out." these riffs and people are going to love it whereas Bardo and Scandalous just sort of seem to be a little bit yeah I don't know I how, never, never how did it. it actually go compared to last year's effort um, so the single went to number one obviously and went double platinum indicating sales of over 140,000 which beggars belief really I know it's not much on the world stage but that's still double platinum in Australia yeah exactly so, so that's 139,000 too many seriously as we talked about last week with diminishing returns so I think Bardo's follow up single was still a sort of top 10-ish sort of element yeah. or they had some yeah, other hits yes I remember it but uh, the follow up single for Scandalous called Make Me Crazy <laughs> which is a Spanish guitar inflected R&B track so it's almost Cotton Eye Joe, effectively, <laughs> but not quite. It only made it to number 30, and then the album debuted at number two and didn't get any higher than that. So the video for the second one, the, the Spanish guitar song, is predominantly set in a car, and then there's an instrumental break that was written, obviously, for a choreographed dance piece, but much like their live performance, it looked like something that you know a child would put together, and it was just even then. It's, imagine writing a song where it's like we're going to have thirty seconds in from about two and a half minutes to three minutes before the yeah. chorus kicks back in. It's just going to be one of the. It sounded like it was from the eighties with all those like like sort of like yeah. bits thrown in where it's definitely for dancing. But then they'd spent ninety <laughs> seconds putting together a 30 second dance piece <laughs> just fucking dog shit so the group disbanded in 2001 about a year after their pop stars win God. so they like Bardo had at least <laughs> two or three years in them I think before yeah. Katie Underwood had to go and do Undercover Angels but these we, guys had nothing if it was a death metal band say yeah. formed in Launceston yeah, and definitely. you know started off their first gig when one guy didn't show up yeah. and I heard they broke up after one year I would think if there was fierce infighting in the band musical differences you know egos what direction do we want the music to go yep. uh, with a band like this to be over in 12 months, I would almost certainly think that it was a case of the publishing company going, look, we've got enough money to do this for one band at a time. You've had your year. We want to do a new group next year and maybe they can dance a bit better. So take your flavor savers and your leather bests back to the <laughs> checkout counter at Coles where you were previously working. Uh, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Exactly. Like I think after a year's time, they would have moved on to... Popstars Season 3, which I won't spoil now, but we will get to talk about <laughs> oh, in the future, Tom, no doubt. So, great. number three. So, And look, the weird thing about this song is that it wasn't even written exclusively for Scandalous. The winner of Popstar Sweden oh, Season 1 called Excellence actually recorded this song. And it, and when the, the band Excellent, they that had it as an album track. Mm. They didn't even deem it good enough to be released as a single. But <sighs> what happened was that, so here... 
the pop stars producers for Scandalous just said, oh, let's just take that song that has already been recorded for another pop stars group in yeah. Sweden. Let's just grab a track off their album for your single. So, oh, And look, um, I'm going to say that the Excellence version, it's about as shit as this, but you know, not one is not better than the other no. still. I mean, props to Sweden for at least having the quality control level to go, this is not good enough yeah, to exactly. be a single. I mean, at this point, the Australian commercial pop production industry, led by inspirational figures like Kyle Sandlands and that twat <laughs> with the mullet off Australian Idol, have demonstrated that they've had six years to learn how to write an acceptable Destiny's Child knockoff and failed, Yeah, had a decade to work out what made Kylie Minogue work and failed, and had the entire 80s to learn what an international audience did want from Australian music and failed. So far, they've succeeded in knocking off a New Zealand reality TV show and generating a bad rip-off of Bardot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know. Remember when we talked about Stock Aitken and Waterman and we said how yes. low quality the music was? It yep. sounded like it was just recorded on like yes, a Casio. exactly. This sort of has that same vibe. It does. Yeah, we're talking 15 years advancement in technology. Exactly. But it still sort of The seems... mix isn't even right. Yeah, no. like even putting aside a, a, an acceptable mainstream pop single it doesn't even work as a shitty mm. production of a reality tv show no song. look it's no good yeah. not, it's not so good but look let's i don't want to be so negative tom let's no. fo- let's focus on the positives <laughs> and i will say that scandalous uh single-handedly revitalized the australian pleather industry is that a fair assessment <laughs> oh that's a very because they're wearing a lot of pleather in me myself and i uh they're wearing a lot of pleather in that follow-up single i think the album covers got pleather there's just pleather all over the fucking show they so. may have got a shipment of pleather vests from the uh now defunct euro dance industry oh no know, doubt coming across the across the atlantic from there and people may say that I'm shitting on pleather, but look, um, as a vegan, <laughs> which I'm not, but let's pretend for a second that, you know, pleather is a more sustainable, there's no animal cruelty sure. involved in pleather. It so would be a shame to think that any animals died so that scandalous could happen. Exactly. So look, Tom, let's have, I think the problem with this podcast is, um, <laughs> and I'm not talking about that in the sense that what the problem with the podcast is now, but I think the problem that you and me are going to face with this podcast in the future is that... For the next decade, there are so fucking many of these TV reality people Mm. songs that there's going to come to a point where um, I don't know whether I can do it anymore. (laughs) I'm losing the will to live. Uh, But one thing we can do, and I think we're going to have to do this, is try and find out what are they up to now? What are these guys? Because a lot of people would sort of pinned their entire careers, I guess, on sort of rather doing the difficult thing of writing your own music, maybe Mm. forming a band or finding like-minded individuals to write music, working it up, trying to get some demos together, play some shows. People wanted to take the easy option out of, let's just go on a TV reality show Mm. and then we're going to be famous from there. But what we've learned from Scandalous is that it doesn't always work out, does it? You do this sort of stuff, but (laughs) what did they do after that? And that's what the most important thing is. So look, let's have a look at the members of Scandalous, Tom. So Tamara. Mm Mm-hmm. She was one of the female ones. She ditched her surname. 
um, and just went with Tamara. So look, the thing about that is that Kylie waited a good decade to ditch the surname as we yeah. learned last week, didn't we? So it took her a long time. I mean, I don't really know whether Tamara should have assumed that she had the recognition of the back of Scandals <laughs> to be a first name only no. artist. So, But she did release two singles, Ooh Ah and Hard For Me, and both of them reached the top 30 in Australia. Mm. Um, some may say... She'll never have the level of recognition <laughs> to be a one-name artist. But Ooh-Ah did feature the lyrics, quote, Ooh-Ah, I lost my bra. I left it in my boyfriend's car. <laughs> so slightly more sophisticated than the work of Scandalous. Mm. But where Tamara really shines, Tom, is that she married Kyle Sandlands in 2008 oh, God. and was the only act signed to the King Kyle Records label. So the union only lasted two years. And Kyle revealed on air that the wedding was, quote, a disaster. Yes. Uh, Apparently, she told him that they were making the biggest mistake of their lives the day before the wedding. (laughs) Uh, Maybe she had pre-wedding jitters, traditional to many brides, you know. Or maybe she was annoyed that her husband made the unilateral decision to broadcast a live episode of his shithouse radio show from their fucking wedding, (laughs) promote it for weeks leading up to that, and give away listener tickets to random fuckwits on air beforehand. I mean, yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Yeah, could have. <laughs> Sadly, the marriage uh, built on that foundation lasted less than two years, possibly because Kyle was her manager, which gave him an excuse to be a dominating dickhead who controlled her money and wouldn't even let her use the internet. Mm. She's since remarried and had kids and seems relatively happy. Fantastic. Uh, Kyle is currently dating Tegan Kiniston, 35, uh, the communications director of his company, King Kyle. So he's learned his lesson about dating people a generation younger that he can financially manipulate. And um, yes, continues to be, you know, one of the big noises in Australian commercial radio in the sense that he is loud and physically large in the sense of being fat. Sorry, I don't like Carl Sandilands very much. He's very, very, very talented, Tom, and I think that we we forget that, that, you know, he is able to talk on, Mm. on radio and has done for many years. Um, I think being able to talk on radio for that period of time, what's impressive is that you can speak for 20 years without having said anything. So yes. I think that's sort of I think that's yes. where the real talent comes from. So look, it's a shame that he didn't sign more people to King Kyle Records because Tamara really, really heated up the charts. And look, <laughs> I hope that he revives that. So because he's, he's they don't make that show anymore. He's like a Judge Judy style judge, do they? Where Kyle goes on and. <laughs> sentences people to fucking no, whatever. Like uh, pretty much everything he was involved in except his shithouse radio show, it was a failure yeah, after a short yep. period of time. Yeah, dude sucks. I think that's safe to say. So anyway, look, Jason, mm-hmm. one of the other guys, he uh, ended up working for Camp Quality. So he's gone on to do something, you know, uh, where he's helping people uh, underprivileged with disabilities. So it's fantastic. He lists his skills as freelance singer, choreographer and director. Sure. So I don't know about you know those things, but look, <laughs> I don't know, but it's a good cause. Oh, absolutely. So so yeah. power to him, which is good. Anna sings for the wedding duo couple Music by Pearl, <laughs> um, who worked the Adelaide wedding circuit and that took out the Australian Bridal Industry Award for best ceremony music in 2014 and 15. Oh, that's a big call. That's that's massive, isn't it? <laughs> it so. is massive. She probably makes far more money doing that than she ever would have made being in Scandalous. Oh, you'd make no money from being in Scandalous. So, <laughs> no, yeah, I think her doing Bruce. covers on a bridal circuit. So oh, fuck you. Fantastic. Uh, Daniela releases music on a SoundCloud page 
and she's the company director of a music tuition business called Designer Song. So, sure. who are the sponsors of this episode, Tom? Don't Designer know. Song. Shout out. Where to you me. need to go when you need a song <laughs> designed, check it out. Thank you very much. And what about our fellow Tasmanian Simon? Mm, wow. A lot of people forget Tom that Simon, he was he was one of us. He was a Tasmanian who scaled the summit to scandalous, which is as high as it could get. But he's decided to re-engage with his spirituality. Oh, okay. He said, I started to realize that the Bible is telling us the truth about ourselves and our journey from slavery to here. God just wants us to be happy and love each other as he commanded, which is the biggest concern because obviously we don't apply that. We don't live it. Hmm. You feeling that Simon's um, <laughs> Simon's whole thing about uh, the journey, God, the Bible about slavery from here, and uh, <laughs> work, and you know we don't apply the um, the loving each other commandment sort of well, resonates with you. In theory, it's just that they always tend to have a very specific personalized definition of what that actually entails. But... Oh no doubt. Look, <laughs> is there a part in the Bible about television talent shows? Is that did Jesus cover that off? Sort of thou shall not. Sing in reality TV. Mm, or I think like that. that'd so. be definitely one of the commandments these days. For sure. Look, hopefully, sure Simon. Covet, not covet the neighbour's ass, perhaps. Yeah. Look, Simon may metaphorically rise from the dead and come <laughs> back to serenade us again with his music in the future, Jesus sure. Christ style. So, look, I look forward to that. So, look, this is hot garbage. And, look, yep, as I said, we'll get so. to discuss the third and final instalment of Pop Stars uh, in a future episode, perhaps, Tom. Um, these lyrics must be fucked, am I right? <laughs> I don't know. You're so sexy, talking smooth, have no idea what you're going to lose. The game you're playing with my mind, not kind. I said, why did you treat me like that? Come tomorrow, baby, stay all night. I want to see it all, so don't turn out the lights. Boy, you're in for a big surprise. It ain't going to be nice. I'm going to blow everything you know about me, myself and I. I'm going to make sure that you're on the floor when the cops all come around. Mm. No, you won't survive, me, myself, and I. So, are they going to fuck you to death? Sounds like it, Is yeah. that the idea? <laughs> I mean, I give them credit. I guess that would be scandalous. Yeah, it would be, absolutely. I mean, mm. the cops will come around. Some I sort mean, of seven-person rape murder, you know. Oh, the lyrics are, are pretty weird. And look, that's an autopsy. No one wants to have to perform. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought. But yeah, look, it's... Um, Oh, jeez, it's, it's in line with the quality of the, <laughs> the band, I guess. So, look, doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, but also the original song um, was written, I assume, maybe uh, English as a second language. It was written by the Swedish oh, guys. Oh, okay, yeah. So, but when it was translated uh, and when it was recorded by Scandalous, nobody bothered to sort of say, maybe we can <laughs> adjust these lyrics slightly sure. so that it... Because that's the thing with these artists. They, they look at these lyrics and they say, what if we change two words? And it's like... No, you're not getting any songwriting credits mm. at all because that would involve us having to pay you money. So <laughs> we're using the OG one, even if it does sound like a weird sort of dance floor murder type scenario. Yeah. So look, uh, three weeks is it for number one, as I said, 2,000 listeners on Spotify, <laughs> which doesn't, that's a lot more than <laughs> I would have thought. But, between seven people. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, I think the thing with Scandalous is they'd be on so many you know, like most dog shit songs of the nineties playlists on Spotify that someone would just happen to listen to it. So they get 2000 listens a week. How many of them did you set up? I set up all of them. Exactly. Send me the link to one of those. (laughs) 
So this cost $1.25, I gather, because most of the copies have been destroyed, so there's not that many going around. But, Tom, if you do want the Funk Corporation remix on vinyl, Mm -hmm. which I know is very hot property come Christmas, that'll cost you $7. So Wow. On vinyl. Yeah, look, I think... In, especially in 2021 standards, there's a very, as you know, a lot of people have probably heard, there's a very big backlog of vinyl <laughs> pressings because everyone wants to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think the backlog can be traced back to <laughs> wasting pressing plant time with things such as this because I can't think of a, you know, a worse uh, use of vinyl than to press up a scandalous. I don't think that was pressed in a machine. I think one of the members of Scandalous did that with a unfolded safety pin that they... <laughs> They just, just scratched it into, into a, a yeah. dining plate. That Absolutely right. Came out. So look, that's um total bullshit. So mm. look, uh, look up next is something slightly more popular. Something better. Christina Aguilera, Pink, Little Kim, and Mia, Lady Marmalade. Mm. Boom. We talked about this before. Three weeks of power for that. So look, now I think we've mentioned this in a previous episode, Tom. Is this the male Brian, Rod, and Sting all for love? Well, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of similarities, aren't there? Apart, apart from anything else, this is our third movie, movie song yeah, of the absolutely. year. This is uh, Moulin Rouge. So Rod and Sting were from, um, was it Robin Hood? Prince uh, of Thieves? Or was it, that was from something worse. <laughs> Kevin Costner's Waterworld or some shit. Something, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, look, so that, that's, uh, I think that Ryan Broad and Sting, All for Love, was definitely three of the hottest stars at the time getting Inky to do Sadly, a song. Sadly, yes. This is the, these are probably some of the hottest artists at the time. Uh, Aguilera, big. We've already spoken about Pink last week. Little Kim, she's doing, you know, wrapping it up. And we've already spoken about Mia this mm-hmm. week. So four big names doing this. So very comparable to that. But, you know, we don't know if, like All for Love, there was a pink Christina, Little Kim and Mia four-way in the studio. That's something we don't know, mm. but I assume that there was. We can only assume. And maybe uh, Missy Elliott got involved as well because she was involved in the yes. video clips of this, doing yeah. a bit of an intro and an outro. So, look, what is your favourite version of Lady Marmalade? There's been so many over the years. And, look, there's obviously this. There's the original La Belle version. Um, yep. There's the All Saints version. version sorry. Uh, this one, obviously, from Moulin Rouge. And I think my personal favourite, Tom, is definitely Sabrina's version from the <laughs> 80s. So, which, you know, we all love Sabrina from oh, Boys, Boys, Boys. Oh, I reckon that would be my favourite, probably. Oh, look, it's very good. And I think when you look at Sabrina's debut album, we didn't sort of... We've spoken about Sabrina before, but <laughs> she the, the debut album definitely plays to her strengths, and that being sort of sex appeal and sort of a nipple mm. slip in a pool because <laughs> the tracks are Boys, Summertime Love. Everyone loves that song hot mm-hmm. girl sure get ready holiday rock kiss by prince she does yep. a cover of that sexy girl yep kiss me she does lady marmalade and then she pumps it up with a bit of my sharona <laughs> why not sounds good to me and do you think i'm sexy look i think sabrina could be a star today yep. um you know if she was that age now if she had max martin writing songs for her yep. and the right vocal coach and stylist I mean, it worked for Katy Perry, didn't it? What the fuck was on her resume in 2001? Not a lot. Bedroom mirror dance skills, looks a bit like Zoe Deschanel, <laughs> Christian <laughs> question mark. You know, Sabrina was already working with better material than that. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think um, we'll probably no doubt get to talk about Katy Perry later on, but 
I believe she did release a Christian album. Didn't oh she? yeah, no, she was Be- a Christian. Before she before sort of went, before, this, yeah. this Christian shit doesn't work for me. Let's uh, sing about you know kissing chicks or whatever. So all good. But yeah, look, definitely my favourite is Sabrina's. You're right. Sabrina should have been a lot bigger than she is. I mean, um, mm. although that you know, I guess sort of that boys video clip will forever <laughs> be a classic. So. This was a number one in the US, as was the LaBelle original. Oh, yes, so yeah. I think um, it sold 5 million copies worldwide. I mean, it's a catchy fucking oh, song. Let's not pretend this, yeah. otherwise. So to have, um, I'm not sure, I don't think this is the first time that there's been the same song by two artists number one. I'm sure, it, you know, no, there's a lot of covers. No, we talked but... about that. Uh, Locomotion, that was, oh, a, yeah, yeah. that was a double. In fact, that might have been a triple number one. Yeah, Even I think you're right. Like Absolutely. the original, a cover, and then the number one. And that, yeah. No, it has happened before. There was a... Oh, yeah, there was um, Dolly Parton cut, had a number one twice with a song and a cover, her own cover oh, of right. it again yep. later on. Yep. The Definitely. song from the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> sure. So the LaBelle yeah. original, great song, and then obviously these guys brought it back, really, really stepped it up after, um, you know, Sabrina took I it. I remembered to why we were talking about Ghetto Superstar. It's because we were talking about Islands in the Stream. Oh, the yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Which is from there. Exactly Sorry, right. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, look, so this song is from um, Baz Luhrmann film. Yes. Moulin Rouge, obviously. Now, music obviously plays a very integral role in Baz's films. That one so, particularly. I mean, yeah. it's a musical. He's only made five films which sort of seems you know crazy to me because <laughs> I think the first film came out in sort of 1990 so he's had 30 years and he's only done five but to sure. me that just demonstrates he spends so much time crafting every <laughs> element of every film to make sure it's completely top notch mm-hmm. he's spending a lot of time you know I, I assume he's very hands on he's tweaking this he's tweaking that yep. you know he's not outsourcing anything he's controlling it making sure it's absolutely perfect and clearly as we've spoken about, music is very important. Strictly Ballroom, his first film, yep. is a ballroom dancing film. Music is very important in that. And um, Love is in the Air was a, was a big hit mm. from that film. So that was another song that was recorded originally in uh, 1977, yep. but then featured in Strictly Ballroom and then became a hit again in the 90s. So that's Baz sort of demonstrating that music is very integral to his films. Then his modern day take on Romeo and Juliet featured modern artists of the day, Everclear, Garbage, Radiohead, etc., etc. Say what you like about how well that film is aged. That soundtrack is great. That's got some absolute fucking bangers on it. Exactly. So he sort of utilised, whereas I guess... Talk Show Host by Radiohead, that's a great song. Yeah, for sure. So Strictly Ballroom was sort of, um, I guess, reimagining old songs. Romeo and Juliet was taking an older story and then putting it in a modern... Um, sort of setting with modern, modern themes, music. Yeah. Or old themes with yep. modern music. Then Moulin Rouge obviously had this song, which is extremely popular. Moulin Rouge was all mashups. It yes. was all recombining stuff into... into exactly. Things. And apparently it took Lerman two and a half years to secure the rights to all the songs I'm for Moulin Rouge. Because there's that, so much music that, in that. There's, yeah, it's like the second big number, I think, is that um, it's sort of uh, nirvana Yes. They used it in the trailer, but there's there's like a half a dozen songs in that. There's Fat Boy Slim. There's all these things in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you look at the Great Gatsby, where uh, he got Jay Z in to executive oh, yeah. produce the soundtrack to that film, and that featured obviously himself, Beyonce, Lana Del Rey, Jack White, Sia, uh, Gautier. So a lot of artists sort of to get involved and do that. So 
once again, that was sort of a very musically based film. Music plays a lot, you know, a big role in all of his films. And then for Australia, he secured the talents of uh, Rolf Harris to provide the wobble board <laughs> in the opening sequence. So music plays a very big part in all of his films. You know, he doesn't always get it right, but he gets it right more than he gets it wrong. So there you go. Did you like the music in this film? Um, I've never seen it, Tom. Oh, really? Oh, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, I just uh, no, never got around okay. watching it. I haven't seen it since the uh, the at the time my friend was into it. But um, yeah, there were a couple of songs I liked. That the there's a tango, a sort of sad tango to Roxanne. Yep. Uh, by um, with Tom Waits doing a sort of cover of it. That was really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I tried watching the film for the first time since 2001 the other day and I made it about five minutes in, but I think that's got more to do with Baz than the music. Yeah. So yeah, the video for this, however, is not Baz Luhrmann because it's pretty boring. Um, it doesn't have any of these special effects from a Sabrina clip. Yep. And also marks the start of Burlesque, which was appealing to some people, but visually I find it fairly derivative and slapped together most of the time, a bit like Baz Luhrmann's taste in movie making. Yeah, but, look, yeah. I, I think that when I, I saw the Lady Marmalade video clip, I said, don't need to see the film. I think I've taken everything <laughs> I need to know the from The film this. is visually more inventive. The film is quite visually inventive. It's got some cool stuff in it, although yep. I'm not sure how well the CGI stuff's aged. But like this looks like a bunch of different music executives have calculated with a Olympic-grade stopwatch exactly how much screen time each of the people get to make sure they all get exactly 25% okay. of the screen time, which doesn't leave much for anything for them to do other than sort of flop around on a carpeted staircase in burlesque gear. Yep. That's what they do, you know. Absolutely. It's kind of a waste because they're all such sort of big personalities. Like, it's a, you know... Yep. Could have done oh, something sure. interesting with it. Look, um, Baz has got a film coming out next year, Tom. Do you know what it's about? No, I don't. It's uh, an Elvis biopic. Oh, yeah. So once again, I music's going to feature heavily. That, I feel like, might be in line with his stuff because Elvis was such a tacky camp personality <laughs> for a heterosexual man, yep. you know. He lived in a house that looked like Baz Luhrmann had designed it while undergoing the delirium tremens. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he also had that TV show that was meant to be pretty good called The Get Down that was oh, about sort of yeah, early 80s true. hip-hop culture, like breakdancing and... Yep. Yeah, but I don't think it rated... It cost a fuck ton of money. It was one of those American ones, like the big-budget AMC shows where they can spend it film budget on the first season, you know, but, yeah... yeah. Well, anyway. it was like that. Was it like a the one called Vinyl or whatever? Yeah, where, a bit yeah, like that. Like a huge a budget period piece, and then people were not feeling it all. Yeah, and not 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 hating it, but just like it just didn't get the you know the Mad Men figures that you need to sustain that level of production quality. I suppose. Yeah. Anyway. Look, will in the Elvis film will Baz <laughs> go a sort of Rolf Harris wobbleboard style? I or like will he to try think and recreate, like sort of connect. Four of the hottest artists that we have today to sort of do a Lady Marmalade style <laughs> single that sort of encapsulates everything that we love about modern music, but maybe doing an Elvis cover. So I hope he goes the three thousand miles to Graceland approach, where Elvis is portrayed by Kevin Costner, yep. um, Kurt Russell, uh, two other actors whose name I forget, who try to pull off a Tarantino style heist. 
in oh. Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Maybe 10 years after that would have been a cool subject for a film to embrace. Yeah. And then all die in a hail of gunfire, possibly to the tune of a Butch Vig-produced garbage hit. <laughs> no doubt. Seems like something you'd get into. <laughs> look, and a lot of fucking confetti falls out of the fucking ceiling for no reason. Yeah, look, they tried to get... Uh, the big names together for another power track in recent years oh, by yeah. a song called Bang Bang. I'm not sure if you remember that one. They got Jesse J, Ariana Grande, and Nicki Minaj, mm. and they tried to do a bit of a lady. If you listen to the song, it sounds very much like a Lady yeah, Marmalade trying. Let's get these big people together and try and do this. But I don't know whether that was for a film, and it worked out about two percent as well as this. You so. know what this did remind me of that yep. I'd forgotten. Do you remember that another massive budget? But it was a Pepsi commercial, yeah. and it was "We Will Rock You," and oh. they used they had Beyonce, Britney, and damn it, I should have checked that as well. Another huge act, and that was hyped as though it was a song. They should have just released that as a fucking single. They maybe they did, but you know, yeah, but yeah, that 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 also worked from a hype perspective. But yeah, that Bang Bang, you're right. That feels like it should have been. Huge. I mean, there is a lot of ego balancing going on in something like this. You yeah, know, definitely. Which really makes you appreciate a thing like Live Aid, yeah. you know, if only from an organisational perspective. I mean, Missy Elliott doesn't even get credited in no, the title. No, she's when not even She just there pops up to do the intro and the outro yeah. sort of thing. But, yeah. Absolutely. Look, um, question though, what the fuck's going on in the lyrics on this one? I mean, I know you've got a, a lyrical highlight, but look, the lyrics, I guess, are mostly taken from the original, which sort of, you know, yes. features that, you know, do you want to have sex with the French part, which translates mm. do you want to have sex with me or whatever. But Little Kim drops a rap that I assume wasn't included <laughs> no, in the original. So that's sort of the OG, the sort of, that's the original part of this. And in this, Little Kim indicates that she'll keep on playing suckers like Atari. Mm. So it's good to use a video game system that hasn't existed for about <laughs> two decades at this stage. And also that when she drinks wine, she does it with diamonds in the glass. Now, that sounds like a fucking terrible it idea. It sounds like a really bad idea yeah. to me. Um, which Atari game do you think is Little Kim's favourite? Oh, look, it's probably Pitfall. I like to think, I mean, good game, don't get me wrong. I like to think she was a big fan of the original Atari Lynx handheld system. Oh, uh, yeah. Perhaps joining Biggie for a two-player link-up game of Crazy Ace Miniature Golf or entertaining herself solo on the tour bus toilet with a long session of Todd's Adventures in Slime World. Oh, look, no doubt. So, look, Little Kim was in uh, Junior Mafia, of course, mm. which was, um, you're right, with, I think, one of Biggie's sort of protege-type yes. acts. So... I can see Little Kim and Biggie during the Junior Mafia days just hanging out with that sort of handheld Atari Lynx and yeah. just sort of pumping out those games. Me too. I think the Junior Mafia would have been one of the few organisations that would have been able to afford the, I think it was eight D-cell batteries that the Atari Lynx <laughs> took about every last, 45 yeah. minutes in order to power it. Exactly. But, yeah. California Games, that was on the oh, Atari Oh, man, Lynx, that was a big... So. Hey, that thing was miles better than the Game Boy in the sense of the well, actual screen. Color, so, yeah. yeah. Um, look, lyrically, as you said, Lady Marmalade is a song by American girl group LaBelle. It's written about a prostitute from New Orleans, Louisiana. The song's inspiration was from Bob Cruz's Observations of New Orleans... It was originally recorded by the group 11th Hour for their Greatest Hits album. LaBelle's producer, Alan Toussaint, decided to record the song for LaBelle's album, Nightbirds. Patti LaBelle expressed uh, 
her feelings about the song's lyrics, saying, I didn't know what it was about. Nobody, I swear this is God's truth, nobody told me what I'd just sung a song about. Now, well, she might not have known what voulez-vous coucher avec ma ce soir means, <laughs> do you want to sleep with me? But she must have been concentrating real hard on Instagram to have missed out on... The English lyrics, e.g., he met Marmalade down in Old New Orleans, strutting her stuff on the street. She said, hello, hey, Joe, you want to give it a go? He stayed in her boudoir while she freshened up. The boy drank all that magnolia wine on her black satin sheets where he started to freak. So, yeah, (laughs) I'm not sure, you know, perhaps she thought it was some sort of boutique hotel they have in New Orleans. That's true, yeah, exactly. You get freaky on black satin sheets in a purely platonic way, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I think it probably is a bit of a stretch to say I didn't understand what I was singing about because, as you said, 98% of the lyrics are in English, so... Yes, it's only that chorus. But do we know that she wasn't a a native (laughs) French speaker and that's the bit she did understand? The uh, do you want to sleep with me bit? It's the rest. She had no idea what was going on. That's what she didn't know. Perhaps so. Absolutely. So look, uh, looking at the Spotify of these, you know, four heavyweights, Christina, oh, yeah. 22 million. Fucking hell, that's a lot. But, you know, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't. Pink, 27 mil. Fucking I mean, that's hell. outrageous. Little Kim, 4 million. And as we spoke about, Mia, 3.5. Um, so look, combined, we're looking at what's that? 49, 53, 57 mil. Combined for all those. Fantastic. And yeah, so 19 cents if you want to buy that sure. off the discogs these days moving on tom moving on fantastic up next uh our old pal shaggy oh my god it's the third time we've talked about him in two years he's back again this time featuring ray von fuck knows who that is with angel for eight weeks (laughs) um 11 mil listeners once again for shaggy we talked about that before i just want to bring that up at the top but Ravon has 200,000. So if you remember, Rickrock only had 14,000. <laughs> sure, so yeah. in the Ravon v Rickrock battle, mm. Ravon is the man that we want yes. to go for. So look. Eight weeks. Yeah, eight. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mention that. Eight weeks. That's a solid two months. That's a fucking long time. Shaggy has really dominated this year and mm. though it makes those virgin cunts look stupid because they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> True. You know, yes, know. that's right. Which is good. So I don't know whether Richard Brandt, he'd probably sold that years ago by the stage. <laughs> I don't think he was actively involved probably since the 80s. But Shaggy's back. And I think in this one, he almost, uh, does he sing less than It Wasn't Me? It feels oh, like he sort of. Seems like it feels like there at all. Ravon's doing the whole thing. And then, you know, Shaggy's just popping up from now and now to do a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, who the fuck is Ravon, you asked? Uh, yep. He was a guy who changed his name to Ravon because it sounded better than Bruce Brewster. Because it's his real name. <laughs> He's currently collaborating with Sugar Bear, oh, yeah. which is a better name than Ravon or Shaggy, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this should have just been called Sugar Bear. Sugar Bear, as far as I mean, that sounds like a pimp from a Starsky and Hutch episode. I'm totally down with the name Sugar Bear. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that as well. I think Ravon's significantly worse than Sugar Bear. I think Ravon so. sounds like a you know type of fabric that was developed by the space program in 1972 you know which after you wear it three times goes bright purple and makes your skin come out in a fucking rash exactly but, like yeah. i'm in the 80s and i'm in kmart and i'm buying a tracksuit made of Ravon. so <laughs> that's certainly. right now a lot of people under the age of 30 at the time probably thought hmm, this is catchy and everyone over that sound thought now this sounds just like several other songs kid rock style yeah uh, what would they be 
So I Do think, you know? yeah, this takes the melody of the song Angel of the Morning performed by Juice Newton. Um, so the, the, the melody is exactly the same and the lyrics are mildly changed. So I think that one sort of, yeah. in that sort of, she says, yeah, Angel of the Morning, darling. And then I don't know what the exact lyrics are of this, but it's slightly yeah. changed. So yeah. Um, so yeah, look. And then Shaggy comes in and gives it the Shaggy I think treatment. It's also got bits of uh, a what's his name? Oh, you're I'm right. I'm a joker. Sorry, I'm a yes, smoker. Correct. I'm a midnight. But yeah, so there it's like an... the, the chorus from one catch, one catchy chorus from something else, the other music from another song, and then they just crap on over the top of it. Yeah, exactly. Lazily. Exactly. So look. Shaggy could do no wrong at this stage, obviously, mm. and the dudes at Virgin were no about thinking we've fucked it. But I'm sure that they were saying, we've let go of Shaggy, but not a problem. We're definitely going to make some money back on that $50 million Janet Jackson deal. So, because yep. they did sign up Janet for 50 mil. And I gather, have they made that money back now? <laughs> Will they ever make that money back? I don't really know. That's a lot of records that Janet has to sell, but we know that Michael's secretly beside her writing those mm. tracks with her right now in Mexico somewhere. So... <laughs> It's all good. Uh, it was around this time that Shaggy also teamed up with Tony Braxton for Christmas in Jamaica, which is one of the cornerstone Christmas tracks in my house. I've been blasting it all December, Tom. Do you have a favourite Christmas Shaggy track, <laughs> or are they just all great? Um, I think I'm... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't look, know. Uh, <laughs> I boned your mum while Santa watched through the keyhole, something like that. Oh, Shaggy, that would be on Shaggy's album, definitely. I saw mum doing a three-way with Santa and another guy. Uh, I was filming the whole thing. Well, Shaggy, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, Shaggy or, or Ray, uh, Rick Rock would be... No, Rick Rock was involved. <laughs> Rick Rock's girlfriend would have been filming it, I'd <laughs> yes. say. So that's how it works. Lyrics? Um, uh, okay. <laughs> Okay, um, uh, life is one big party when you're still young, but who's going to have you back when it's all done? It's all good when you're little, you have pure fun, can't be a fool son, what about the long run? Looking back, Shorty always mentioned, said me not giving her much attention. She was there through my incarceration, I want to show the nation my appreciation. Now, the incarceration line might be referring to his time in a Jamaican prison, before he joined the Marines, although why the fuck he'd want to show the nation his appreciation for putting him in jail is another question, mm. as is who this fictional woman is that he's talking about, given that this guy joined the army to get laid, and the video for this is just the unfunny version of window liquor. It's just a giant <laughs> white room with 460 chicks in white bikinis rolling around on top of these two dweebs. I think it was directed by Snow, actually, oh, um, with his informer money he put into video production. <laughs> Every video is just white people in bikinis flopping around on top of just whichever dork pays the studio fees. But, yeah. Anyway. Look, not uh, not the best video clip, but look, people in, in this country loved it for eight weeks. I said that's the best so, song for eight, eight weeks. Eight so. weeks. That's like the longest song this year. It's nuts. It's also, it must be based off those samples because uh, if I had yeah. to choose between the two Shaggy songs, I'm going It Wasn't Me. At least that's an original composition. Yeah, and it's kind of fun and bouncy. This is just sort of slow and, you know, yeah. yeah. It's pretty shit, to be honest, let's face it. So, look, anyway, moving on, Tom. Up next, Uncle Cracker mm. with Follow Me. 
Yes. Now, this sounds like an off-brand Sugar Ray, and uh, I don't <laughs> say that in any, <laughs> with any sort of yeah. love for Sugar Ray or off-brand versions of Sugar Ray. Um, look, I blame Sublime for that bullshit sort of acoustic guitar. Oh, is it even hip-hop-influenced drum loop? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, this it was, was like a, last was around yeah, at the time. It's like acoustic too. guitar, but then we've also got like a, a drum loop that's yeah. sort of hip-hop-ish in a sense. So... Um, yeah, you're right. Everlast did that. Sublime cranked that out. And this is what this is. And overall, the whole sort of thing is pretty shit, I think, in that sort of vibe. Yeah. So I think Beck was maybe able to pull it off in some capacity. Yeah. Like he definitely Two had a bit of. The microphone yeah, he sort definitely of sort of had that hip hoppy, drum loopy sort of weirdness with some acoustic guitar thrown in. But Uncle Cracker. Definitely can't pull that off. And if you don't know who Uncle Cracker is, oh, and a lot of people probably fucking don't, uh, he was the turntable guy for Kid Rock. Mm. That should tell you absolutely everything that you need to know. Well, yes, appropriately, the video features a guy who looks exactly like whoever you're imagining when you picture the phrase turntable guy for Kid Rock. Mm. It takes place in suburbia, exactly where it should, and stars multiple crackers, including the tit-frosted douchebag from Sugar Ray. <laughs> yeah. uh, my favourite is my favourite part of the video. Have you seen the video? I have, yeah. My favourite part of the video is the guy pissing turns around. It's just the garden hose joke, <laughs> which the Late Show used as a biting satire joke about shit jokes 20 years <laughs> earlier than this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, guess what, Ben? This is our number four movie song of the yeah. Oh, really? Because this was featured in Coyote Ugly as well. Was it? Not to out? mention 3,000 Miles to Graceland, The Animal, starring Rob Schneider, oh, and The Blind Side, <laughs> a quartet of movies that have lost none of their luster over time. Which one did you prefer? Oh, those definitely, four? definitely The Animal, I think. <laughs> with um, Was um, was Australia's own Michael Caton in that? Oh, he might have been. I saw it at the movies, but I think I was so hungover that my eyeballs were bleeding, which was a blessing given the action of the I film. I don't really know whether he was, but yeah, Rob Schneider's <laughs> The Animal is, is certainly the best of those films, is it? Maybe fucking so hard to say. It's sort of when the bar is so low on all of them, it's like what sort of... It's sort of like what's worse, you know, dying of AIDS or getting shot into a volcano, really. It's that, sort of, you know, that's got to be the film, right, that inspired that South Park thing where the Rob Schneider is... Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> so... <laughs> Terrible. Look, so effectively, from what I understand, this is what happened. So Kid Rock approached Uncle Cracker and sure. said, will you be the turntable guy in my group, in my band? I'm putting a mm. band together. Because Kid Rock, I think, for his history, he sort of did a lot of DJing as well and sort of was involved in some <laughs> sure. hip hop type skills on something, the... whatever, yep. before. But yeah, he put a band together and he said, look, Uncle Crackle, will you be the turntable guy in my group because we know each other, I want yep. that to do. And Uncle Cracker had no experience <laughs> and didn't know how to do it at all, but his brother did. Uh, okay. So he agreed to be Kid Rock's... <laughs> turntable guy with no experience or no ability on the turntable mm. but he thought my brother knows what to do so he can show me 
So, yeah, being a turntablist in a rock group clearly does require a lot of skill. <laughs> if your brother can teach you, you know, overnight what you need to do, then, yeah, clearly it's something that we should all aspire well, I to. I would qualify that by saying your brother can teach you how to do it at a kid rock level in <laughs> yeah, the afternoon. Yeah, well, of course. I think Mixmaster Mike of the Beastie Boys might have a few oh, yeah. further tips. To I think that's what, yeah, sorry, I should for, I should qualify no, 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 that. No, no, that's why fine. I said in a rock fine. because, no. yeah, you're right. Yeah, mix, like, to be a Mixmaster Mike level type DJ or a DJ <laughs> shadow type person yeah. is going to take years of honing. But to be in a rock group where you just got to go, yeah. obviously... That's something that... The guy who um, goes in the next Linkin Park yeah. thing, and that's the full extent. It's, um, it's, cool. the, it's the new metal equivalent of the guy who plays the triangle yep. in the orchestra pit. That I think if Kid Rock had said, can you come and play lead guitar in my band? And you said, I've never fucking well, played a guitar before okay. in my life. Here's the question, though. This is the question. Mm. So for this to have worked, unless Uncle Cracker had done a DJ set with a guy standing behind him putting his arms mm. through his armpits yep. and pretending to play the turntables, what the fuck, what quality did Kid Rock ascribe to this guy that made him think that he wanted him as the turntablist in his band no other than turntabling? Because he, he just looks him. like he a knew him. bowling shirt wearing suburban, overweight, bald, white guy with half a grill, you know? Yeah, was he, he looks... fun at parties and he thought, hey, he'll make a good DJ? Well, I mean, it's a good question. It's sort of, did Kid Rock did get him and his brother mixed up or something? Yeah, say, will you be in my band? Kid Rock's like, will you be in my band? <laughs> he's like, yep, and then didn't realise it was his brother. That Perhaps they're identical twins or something. Because in the video clip for this, you, you're absolutely right. You look at it and just go, who the, f- like, what, this guy has yeah. no pop. Sensibility. I mean, if Uncle Cracker was a really hot white girl, I could understand, you yeah. know, with a rebel flag tattoo. Sure. Oh, exactly. Look, he had another top 10 song in 2009 with a song called Smile, which is somehow worse than this. It's sort of Maroon <laughs> Level 5, um, sorry, Maroon 5 level bland in terms of like just how dog shit it is. It's a sort of song that you can imagine being played at the wedding of someone who's never heard music before, but just needed a song for the bridal dance. It's like, oh, yeah. what's, oh it's this sort of thing. The big Kyle Sandilands fan. Yeah, it's sort of also released around the same time that Uncle Cracker was charged with sexual assault at a bar. So... He was in town for a performance, stumbled down some steps and put his hand under a woman's skirt and touched her, quote, buttocks and vaginal area. Mm. So next time you're at a wedding and smile or follow me is on just so the bride and groom, you know, can do their waltz for it. (laughs) You might want to give them a heads up and say that their marriage dance is taking place to a song performed by Sex Pest. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, it's not great, is it? But... It's nothing that would prevent him holding high political office, though. Mm. You know, he's white, I should say. Look, I I don't hate this song as much as you do for a first single by a guy with a suburbs-quality voice and no DJing skills. It's not as bad as it could be. I think most of that is probably owed to... Guy pissing with hose in video. Yeah, that's true. Who yeah. is a uh, larger gent called Michael Bradford, who produced and played for Madonna, Deep Purple, Dave Stewart, Run DMC, Butthole Surfers, Ringo Starr, Stevie Nicks, and is also responsible for any remaining listenability that Kid Rock songs have left after Kid Rock is done with them. He also has a skin colour whereby if he had been charged with grabbing someone's buttock and vaginal area, he would not be eligible for a position on the Supreme Court or as Attorney General or President. 
But, you know, look, there's not much else to say about Uncle Cracker, really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> His name gets a lot done, sure. Yep. I'll give him credit for that. Uh, and it's misspelt too, so, you know, that also seems legit. Um, lyrically... The song is supposed to be about, uh, he said that it's about his drug use and infidelity before he settled down yep. to, you know, grabbing chicks on the badge. Yep. But um, he's, I think he's married <laughs> with kids now, whenever, whether that happened he before or after. He was married with kids at the time. I, oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yep. Good. So, uh, you don't know how you met me. You don't know why. You can't turn around and say goodbye. All you know is when I'm with you, I make you free and swim through your veins like a fish in the sea. So I'm guessing that part's about <laughs> drugs. <laughs> I'm singing, follow me, everything's all right. I'll be the one to tuck you in at night. And if you want to leave, I guarantee you won't find nobody else like me. And then the next verse is about a woman who makes a similar sort of promise. But yeah, you know, it's not great, but it's sort of, it's in it. Like you say, it's kind of inoffensive, bland, early aughts, guitar, strummy rock. You meet a girl next week, Tom, and she proposes <laughs> to you. On the basis that this is played at your wedding, <laughs> is that a deal breaker? <laughs> um, no. She's very no, attractive. It <laughs> no, it wouldn't be a deal Might, breaker. Okay, all right. Kid Rock, you would play. Maybe. You'd happily play this at your wedding. <laughs> sure, maybe not for the maybe not for the couple's waltz, yep. but um, you know like she, some can, she can put yeah. it on the mix. Sure, all right, that's cool. Okay, jeez, I won't be there, Tom. Just letting you know, I'm, bu- I'm busy that that's your hypothetical right. wedding. I'm busy well, that. Speaking night, of yeah. songs that you would no. definitely play at your bridal waltz, what have we got? Up well, next? sorry, um, I just want to quickly point out oh, three sure. three point five mil on Spotify. So <laughs> I'm wrong. And uh, people that support sex pests are right. So there you go. Two cents on this on the Discogs. 3.5, yeah, it's a lot. He had two shit hits, but that's fine. But yeah, as you said, Tom, moving on. Songs for a wedding playlist. Rock and roll is alive and well. It's Lifehouse hanging by a moment. Ah, phew. Oh, Jesus. Oh, shit. Sorry. For a moment there, I thought you were going to make me listen to Lighthouse Family again. No, no. Sorry, this is Lifehouse, not Lighthouse. Exactly. This is post-grunge. This is the very finest um, bit of post-grunge. Look, just before I get started on this time, I will point out that when my son, prior to him being born, um, my wife, we went to the uh, the doctor, the prenatal sort of doctor. We mm-hmm. had an appointment. So he was born in 2016, so about five years ago. Yep. Went in there, sitting in the waiting room, just waiting for the doctor to sort of come in. I heard the two staff members behind the desk, sort of just a bit of chit chat between sort of the receptionist. What did you get up to last night? The other one responded, went to see Lifehouse. (laughs) And they said, oh, what? And the other two went, what do you, Lifehouse? She's like, yeah, you know that, you know, I'm falling even more in love with you. And the other one went, oh, it's a great song. So this has stood the test of time, is what I'm saying there, Tom, that in 2016, People were discussing this in their workplace as if it was still fantastic. Two people and two, two, two people. That song from that. One went to see it live, and the other one was like disappointed mm, that they didn't they go and see it live after being and at some. Couldn't recognise so. the song from four words. Well. Exactly. So okay. this is red hot. Yeah. Um, look, lead singer and songwriter Jason Wade. He originally formed Lifehouse as a church rock band. Now, yep. usually that's a deal breaker for me, Tom. But <laughs> I think that what he did was he took sort of the the churchy origin of the band and then adopted them and mm-hmm. then changed them to make it sort of into a post-grunge mega band and mega hit yep. factory. 
So they signed with, with DreamWorks, as I mentioned. This is post-grunge. And if you've not heard this song, just imagine smells like teen spirit filtered through the teachings of our Lord and Savior, D- Jesus Christ, <laughs> and you're about there. Is that a fair assessment? It is. Uh, personally, I've always been more of a Jars of Clay fan oh. myself. <laughs> I felt that JAC kept it real in a way that Creed never could. And I was proved right years later when Scott Stapp got busted in a coke hooker pegging orgy with Kid Rock. Mm. In fact, I believe he was discovered with ass wide open. <laughs> Sorry, I could not resist that. I think that might have been a joke from you about 10 years ago. Oh, probably. Anyway, you know, it's hilarious. <laughs> look, we've all been there. Uh, look, Scott Scott Stapp is... Um, Charles of Clay yeah. have the same number of hits as Lifehouse, e.g. one, but it yep. was a good one. So that uh, lift me up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Abs- yeah for sure. Look, they were also a little post-grunge influenced yeah. as well. But this is very post-grunge. It is Definitely. really, you know... You listen if to... you didn't know it was Christian, you'd just think, you know, no, this was no. another, another one on the train. So the vocalist, as we mentioned, Jason Wade, he is one of the many, yes. many, many vocalists That's from this era about. that is influenced by who I'm calling the destroyer <laughs> of modern rock, Eddie Vedder. So this has got a very... <laughs> yeah, it's got that inflection. So look, it's not as bad as the D, like from the guy from Creed. The guy from Creed really ramps yeah. up that sort of like... That's what I mean. He's doing an impression. He's not. It's not yep. just his, an inflection... He's doing a voice. Like it's a, uh, 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 yeah, so this yeah. is sort of in that. So look, at that Vedder inflection is certainly there. So if you like me and you love Pearl Jam, you will love, <laughs> you will love this. Um, but yeah, look, it's sort of uh, the, the vocals may turn some people away. I don't really know. But musically... Uh, it's you know better than I think some of the shit that came post this so yeah absolutely yeah. so Wade claimed that he wrote this in 5 to 10 minutes on acoustic guitar it's always the way isn't it Tom with these massive hits we still don't these, have a word for that these, but, yeah. exactly these generational songs where you know you sort of you hear it when it comes out in 2001 you're in a doctor's sort of waiting room in 2016 and you mm. still hear people talking about it. You haven't heard anyone saying anything about it in the previous 15 years, but sure, you sort of go, yeah, this is still on people's radars. 15 years later, this is a phenomenon, mm-hmm. but the guy wrote it in 10 minutes. Yeah. So I don't really know how he did that. It's a recurring theme. I think maybe, I'm sure somebody would have written a complicated academic thesis about this, but the concept of artistic artistic inspiration being something that you slave away at for a long time struggling with the process of learning to be you know to master whichever skills you've chosen as your creative abilities yeah but when inspiration does happen it happens very fast but it wouldn't work that way if you hadn't put all that work into it yeah but it can fool people who don't know how much work the people put into it that the inspiration just suddenly strikes you and you can have a million selling hit in an instant. Yep. Of but course. Theory yeah. is slightly let down now by uh, the internet and YouTube where you can become a multimillionaire by farting into a wine bottle and putting it on top of a refrigerator and your cat knocks it over or something <laughs> like that. And then you can actually become a millionaire overnight. But, um, you know, look, I'm just saying... Sometimes it's just, it's a recurring theme. Like it seems to happen once a year. Some person says, I wrote this in half an hour. Or we came up with this song on the way back from the pub or in the car on the way to the studio, you know. Anyway. 
So what you're saying is that someone standing on a coffee table doing the moonwalk <laughs> is as good as this song or sort of you know, TikTok. <laughs> if a TikTok video goes viral yes. of a dude standing on a coffee table doing like the Michael Jackson lean, everyone's mm. like, oh, look at that. Oh. I'm saying that unless you're a total asshole in an interview situation saying, oh, I spent 10 years working really hard to learn how to play the guitar and coming up and doing all that, that sort of shit. Yeah. Don't, never sounds as interesting as, oh, this, I came up with this tune on something, you know, I overheard this thing and, it, you know, I heard a Dido lyric and I got yeah. this vision, you know, rather than say, yeah, to get to the point where that happens like that, you know. And even then, as these also demonstrate, that it might only happen once <laughs> in oh, your of course, career, yeah. or only catch on with people in that way, you know, yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, you may have written the song in 10 minutes, but you were probably... You're in the studio, you're recording something else, and then yeah. you sort of go, oh, it's well, being in that this isn't working, yeah. so I'm gonna, I've got this thing. Then you sit down and go, duh, 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 and you're like, oh, you know, so absolutely, yeah. You, you churn something out in 10 minutes, but you're also not mentioning the 10 years beforehand of you working yeah. to learn have, to play the guitar. Have you watched and the, that, uh, the new Beatles series? To get oh, that? not yet. I will. Yeah, I haven't watched it either, but I, I was listening to someone talking about it, and they said one of the things that is kind of comforting to watch about it from a creative standpoint is how much of the time these guys who are at the time by far and away the most famous band in the world or that has probably ever existed how much time they spend in the studio just kind of vaguely lost like not sure whether what they're doing is any good or not or whether they've just spent two weeks doing some bullshit song that's not very good that ends up being a b-side you know that anyway so yeah Yeah, i'll definitely check that out sorry now i'm just crapping on about HBO shows or whatever. Not a problem. But look, I just want to point out that oh, you, please. that you really know how relevant a band is when you look at their Wikipedia page and it still has tour dates from twenty years ago. <laughs> so certainly um, and that's what I love about Lifehouse. You go on room. there, you click on this album and sort of, you know, I wanted to get a bit of background knowledge on it. It's still got Lifehouse would be performing here in two thousand and one. So you go, oh, these guys are still on top of their game. Sure. No one's bothered to update that. So Look, they've got 4 million listeners still, which is a lot. They probably have a More. big Christian audience. No doubt. There's yeah. always a big chunk. And 61 cents for this. Let's just say I found this at an op shop for my son and paid a dollar. So I got fucking <laughs> scammed. If I had known, I could have got it for 61 cents. Could have saved myself a cool 40 cents, but live and learn. So what are the lyrical highlights? Um, songwriter John Wade, who yep. I'm guessing is the brother of um, Jason Jason, Wade, yep. Uh, said he wrote this about his rootless childhood where his parents were constantly on the move. I think he lived in Hong Kong for a few years. I think they had one of those jobs where they travel around all the time. From a practical standpoint, it does that stock standard mainstream Christian trick of saying you instead of God in a way that's ambivalent enough not to annoy non-believing CD shoppers or make the vocalists sound too much like the big church-going virgin they actually are. So you've got, you know, I'm falling even more in love with you, letting go of all that I've held on to. I'm standing here until you make me move. I'm hanging by a moment here with you. I'm living for the only thing I know. I'm running and not quite sure where to go. And I don't know what I'm diving into. Just hanging by a moment here with you. Yep. So yes, which could conveniently mean any sort of, you know. Chick. Partner. Jesus. Memory. Yep. Jesus. The J-Man, etc. But yeah. Yep. 
I mean, that's a bit of a downer. Let's move on to something a bit more upbeat. Oh, look, Tom, I think that this year we've had a lot of avant-garde sort of pop mm. music, and it continues with this. So, Bob the Builder, <laughs> can we fix it? One week. Um, look, now, this is the sort of shit you'd expect to hit number one in the UK, as they absolutely love novelty garbage. Yeah, sure do. But I expected more from Australia. I've got to admit, I did. I've been let down many times in the past, but I thought we were better than this, Ben. I really did. I mean, it's only one week, but that is seven motherfucking days too long. Yeah. This doesn't even reach the bar of novelty song. No. And that bar is currently balanced (laughs) across two flat turds at the bottom of the musical sewer. Yeah. This is just a straight-up kids' TV show theme song. It's not even a fucking good one. No. Yeah, anyway. Look, it's it's weird that... Um, look, I guess that Bob himself decided to branch out from sort of building and uh, into the world of pop music, and why not? I mean, you know, sort of... You don't really know what's going to happen. You know, GFC is just around the corner, so it's probably good that Bob was sort of like, if this construction industry shuts down, I need to sort of diversify so yep. it gets into the pop music. And uh, this was the 2000 UK Christmas single. Mm. Doesn't surprise me. Biggest selling single of the year. And the 10th biggest single of the decade for the UK. So those guys are fucking morons. It shows what's going on. Look, when you've had a hit as big as this, as we know, Tom, no one wants to be a one-hit wonder. Bob is no exception. So the (laughs) follow-up single is absolutely critical. And we've seen so many sort of big names over the years the follow-up single hasn't hit as big as the number one, and that sort of, and then the careers just sort of faded away. But Bob, he knows what's up, and he went as big as you could with the follow-up single <laughs> with his cover of Mambo Number no. Five, which, if you can believe it, hit number two in Australia and was another number one hit in the UK. Mm, uh, wow. I mean, you just think you can't get any lower, don't you? But yeah, oh my God. <laughs> Bob the Builder doing a Mambo Number no. Five cover that enough people in Australia purchased that so went to number two you're, seems insane to me. You're a parent, Ben. Yep. Like, is the only logical explanation here that parents just got musical Stockholm syndrome from yeah. overexposure to Bob the Builder because the show was popular at the time. Like, yep. you know, it's just a sort of bland show about a builder called Bob well I don't really know I mean my kids I I just play them whatever I Mm. want to play and they are forced to listen to it so it's usually sort of YouTube videos of black metal bands performing in Launceston at sort of daytime (laughs) things down you know by like a sort of a sailing event or something like that so it's generally just that but uh, look I guess in the year 2001 pre-YouTube Pre the ability to just go, oh, look, what do you kids want to listen to? I'll just put it on YouTube or I'll put it on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. Maybe parents felt like I should go and buy this for the kids. But even then, it's just, just don't tell them it exists and don't buy it. It's as simple as that. Do you want to force yourself to listen to the Bob the Builder theme over and over again by buying the CD? Have you just been insane. driven mad from repetition? Yeah. Oh, look, I don't really know. I mean, and. Yeah. What's look, your favourite kids' TV show theme song that is better than this number one international hit, do you reckon? Oh, look, there's a... Thomas the Tank Engine's gone through a lot of uh, various guises <laughs> yeah. over the year. That's great. But there's one that they did like a year or two ago where it's sort of like... Um, <laughs> I can't even... Like, <laughs> my son used to really like Thomas the Tank Engine. He doesn't really watch it much anymore. But there was one where there'd be like a, a dude going, Come on! Yeah. <laughs> After like every line, it was really like really shit. Like 
Come along with Thomas and friends. It's like, come on, yeah. <laughs> the journey the never ends. Woo, yeah, come on. on to do yeah, it was sort of like a hype guy, <laughs> sort of doing bits between the lines. Totally sucked, but I was just always going, yeah, that's fucking awesome. I so. mean, like, it is a bit hard. I mean, I'd struggle to think of any, you really, except, I, you know, except, I don't know, like you say, Thomas the Tank Engine or yep. Ulysses 31 or Grange Hill. <laughs> Three G One Contact, yep. or the Muppet Show, or Fraggle Rock, or Sesame Street, yep. or Astro Boy, Portland Bill, or Robert, Roger Ramjet, or the Goodies, or <laughs> the Archies, or Knight Rider, or Bluey, or Star Blazers, or Battle of the Planets. You know, I mean, yep. I can see why they put this one on there with its refrain of "Yes, we can." You know, that no one else could have come up with but I don't know maybe that's what people were into in 2001 this was oh. I mean fuck this was disappointingly sung by Neil Morrissey who voiced Bob the Builder and people may or may not remember as Tony from um, Men Behaving Badly what? that's the guy who did the voice of Bob the Builder fuck yeah uh, produced by Grant Mitchell a previously respected British producer <laughs> who's done a bunch of sort of pop slop production for Seal Wet 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 Eternal Gary Barlow and weirdly vocals for a quite good punk band called Schwarzenegger spelt Schwarzenegger A-R okay in another life perhaps uh, yeah I'll put the link for that you can listen to their whole album it's actually I ended up listening to the whole thing that's actually pretty good so yeah, it must be sad that you ended up doing this. I hope he's got a happy. So Tony from Men Behaving Badly does the vocals on this. Yeah, he's. I mean, he he voices Bob the Builder. I didn't so, know that. You know, that's that's, that's the... interesting for me. So look, um, I don't want to sort of, you know, break sort of the show's usual sort of I guess style of you know light-hearted, light-hearted banter. But look, we don't really we don't really mix the news in. Um, with music in this podcast, you know, we talk a bit at the start, I guess, about events that happened throughout the year at the start sure. of the show to sort of set the scene. But it was around this time in 2001, Tom, that 9-11 happened, which was obviously one of the biggest events of the millennium, even to this point oh, in time. Oh, for sure. So not only did, you know, 3,000 people die in those attacks, but the events of 9-11 also impacted... I guess, culture from a cultural perspective. Sure. So certain films were, were not released or their dates were pushed back yep. or content was edited because of, I guess, people were really cognizant of the fact that any sort of attack or violence or, or drama of, of that sort of resembled the, the instance of 9-11 people wouldn't really want to feel. So that happened. I think television was also sort of, sure, you know, yeah. music as well that was released around this time was deemed inappropriate or not suitable in the climate. So Slayer released an album on 9-11 <laughs> called God Hates Us. And I think that the sales were impacted by mm, the fact that sort of timing. people didn't really want a, I guess, you know, a sort of thrashy sort of metal <laughs> album that was talking about, no, I guess, no. how God dislikes us in these sort of times of the attacks, especially in America, who... It's quite a religious sort of um, country. And look, that's just one example. There were several other albums that I remember reading about that were released either just prior to 9-11 or, or on the date that, I guess, you know, people, they, they wouldn't stock them in shops or yep. those sorts of things. So a lot of artists were, were certainly impacted through to this. And following the 9-11 attacks, 
Bob the Builder's Mambo Number no. 5 song, Tom, was removed from BBC Radio 2 playlist. Mm, mm. The station's executive producer described the song as being, quote, too frivolous in the light of the news that was breaking. Sure. So in many ways, the 9-11 attacks not only killed 3,000 people, but also killed the music career of Bob the Builder, Tom. Whatever momentum he'd built, through Can We Fix It and Mambo Number no. 5 was destroyed and he never recovered. He never recovered from that time. So mm. he released only one more single seven years later and only released number 81 on the UK charts. So Al Qaeda put an end to what was effectively a promising career. But I guess on the other side of the equation, perhaps the victims' families may disagree. You know, they might not agree with what I'm about to say, but those people who did die on 9 11 didn't die for nothing. Mm. Their deaths helped put an end to an animated builder's novelty singles on the UK charts, and that's as good a reason to die as any. <laughs> Thoughts? Oh, I think you put that very tastefully. Thank you. <laughs> there was, we could do a, a sidebar special on that one day, but the albums that were released in the following month okay. after there was a there was a Christian metal band. It might have been. Head P or one of those ones that was also that came out on the, the oh, day damn. after, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, look. Even in a tragedy, there are bright sides, and if one of them is Bob the fucking builder doing Mambo Number no. Fucking Five yep. gets off the charts, you know, then yep. I would say the terrorists lose that day, you know. Oh, exactly. It's a win for sanity. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, look, lyrically, this is very simple, as you'd expect. <laughs> it's mostly just, can we build it? Yes, we can, which is the moronic refrain of the TV show. Um, there are a couple of minor choruses, uh, verses. I'm assuming these, yeah, anyway, things like Scoop, Muck and Dizzy and Rolly too. Lofty and Wendy join the crew. Bob and the gang have so much fun. Working together, they get the job done. Yep. I mean, even if you... Tell yourself out of boredom that that's about the tail end of a swingers party. It still sounds like one that you wouldn't even want to go to, really. Just a bunch of middle-aged UK tradies and their wives making shit jokes about screws, hammers, and giving the pipes a good scene to. Like, I mean, (laughs) nobody needs that. (laughs) Not at all. So, uh, still 65,000 people listen to this on Spotify. That'd be parents, I think. Yeah, that's not many. I can forgive that, but... People buying this in such quantities is number one. 31 cents uh, on Discogs. It's all of this seems insane to me. I can't (laughs) imagine that, you know, I mean, Bluey is a very popular show these days, as Mm. you sort of mentioned. They've just released a soundtrack, I think, as far as I know. Yeah. I don't think the theme song is going to hit number one on the charts. No. I could be wrong, though. Let's wait and see. Simpler time back then. Who knows? All right, Tom, up next is Kylie. Can't get you out of my head for oh, four weeks. God. I mean, fucking hell. Kylie is on a roll this decade. I mean, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, start of the millennium, I think, with 2001, and this is the third time we've got to speak about it. She's really vitalized, revitalized that yes. career, and this is another hit. This was off the second album of her uh, comeback, or yep. her third stage. Uh, may I just interject right at the start as a music nerd? I don't usually do that because, yep. frankly, my qualifications are about as legit as the Bill Cosby Coma Recovery Institute. <laughs> but I have to say that although I do like the neo-disco original version of this song, my favourite version is the Soul Wax Kylos remix, 
which takes the song up about 18 notches, adds grit and guitars, and gives it muscles that work perfectly supporting Kylie's glassy voice. They basically sort of turn it into a rock song, and it sounds like it shouldn't work, but it absolutely does. That version is off the absolutely superlative Soul Wax Most of the Remixes double album. Uh, sorry, I believe that the full title is Soul Wax Most of the Remixes We've Made for Other People Over the Years, except for the one for Ian Sturz and Newbouton because we lost it and a few we didn't think sounded good enough or just didn't fit in lengthwise, but including some that are hard to find because either people forgot about them or they simply, because they haven't been released yet, a few we really love, one we think is just okay, some we did for free, some we did for money, some for ourselves without permission and some for our friends as swaps, but never on time and always at our studio in Ghent. Uh, That also contains a (laughs) sick version of Ladytron 17, LCD Sound System, Robot Rock, Daft Punk, Justice Hot Chip, all these incredible remixes, plus their remix of of Gravity's Rainbow by uh, fucking the Klaxons, which is so danceable that that it has been known to make... Um, people come back out of comas, which is handy if you're in the <laughs> Bill Cosby Institute. But yeah, oh, and by the way, the Einsters and Newbouton mix is on there. It's a secret track. If you rewind backwards at the start of the CD after rewinding backwards to 2001 when you owned a CD player, I'll put the link in for that as well. But yeah, enough about, enough about that. There's also another, there's many remixes of the song. It was a huge hit, but yeah, that one is particularly good. Look, what I, I like about... Uh, in the early 2000s was the secret song at the end of a CD was Mm. so played out that people (laughs) said we're going to put it before track one so you put the CD (laughs) in and then press play them but then you got to rewind it like press the rewind so it goes back like into negative four minutes or whatever to then play that bonus track so a lot of dudes employed that that was pretty sweet like that so this was written by Kathy Dennis who penned Toxic Britney Spears Ah. Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl, but for my mind, is best known for early 90s dance hit Touch Me All Night Long. I don't know, can you remember that one, Tom? <laughs> Who was That's that by? By her. She sung it herself. Oh, okay. She wrote it and sung it herself. It does so sound familiar. It's a fucking banger. It's a great song. It made it to 16 in Australia. So I didn't really get in the top 10, but yep. Touch Me All Night Long. Fantastic. But it also does fall into that unrealistic all night long category. And as we've discussed, <laughs> nobody, not Kathy Dennis, not a lover of Lionel Richie, nobody wants to get finger slayed from dusk till dawn. I think that's sort <laughs> no. of just... But no. so many songs are talking about that. And it's just like, dude, we're going to bed at like 9 p.m. It's 7 a.m. You're still finger blazing me. I, want, I don't fucking want anything to do with this. But, Kat, you know... So, unfortunately, Kathy Dennis has sort of fallen into that category, mm. but let's just assume that all night long, maybe they went to bed at 2 a.m. and <laughs> passed out at 3 or something, sure. so it's fine. It's all good. Um, so, And also, Kathy, apart from writing this song and those other hits that I've mentioned, she also did a song on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze soundtrack, oh, along wow. with Vanilla Ice, <laughs> and she also performed on an episode of 90210. So she is about as, you know... In the zeitgeist as you can get at this stage, she at sure time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and she also, I mean, she had a huge hit for this with this as well. This is a huge hit for Kylie. It was number one in the UK, number seven in America. That was her first top ten hit there since Locomotion. Wow. Which was what, okay. You know, going Fucking, on close to twenty years yeah, ago, exactly, fifteen yeah. years ago. It's her highest selling single still, with worldwide sales of over five million copies for this one song. 
Um, yeah. Like... It's amazing, yeah. And this is another iconic music video. We talked last week about uh, her ass cheeks in one video <laughs> and then her like Spinning around, getting yeah. crazy in the pool. But this one, she's wearing a jumpsuit that looks like someone's ripped a bed sheet up and then hastily <laughs> stitched it back together. But this is apparently one of her most iconic looks, that sort of, you know, the white I sheet do. with the head. and Yeah, exactly. So people love that. Um, she was on fire this stage. Could do no wrong, she really. Could do no wrong. I am giving this video seven thumbs up. Yep. Uh, there aren't many people who could pull <laughs> off a floor-length disco snood jumpsuit with eight-inch stilettos while doing choreography. Uh, that outfit was designed by London designer Fee Doran and inspired by Grace Jones's mad eighties gear from like View to a Hill <laughs> and stuff, where she's got yeah. these crazy sort of all-over dress slash underwear things and also the director Dawn Shadforth who we talked about uh, last week who did Spinning Around oh, yeah. as well as a bunch of other things deliberately uses an overexposed look in most of the video that includes a lot of sort of confrontingly zoomed in facial close-ups nothing compares to you style yeah. which gives the effect of turning Kylie's giant glossy mouth and half-closed eyes into a sort of uncanny valley-ish nagel painting <laughs> Sort of thing. She actually looks a little bit alien, like that yep. weird dress that she's wearing as well. Yep. Yes, and I think agreed. I reckon it's a bit of a letdown in the second half of the video, where it's just them dancing on a rooftop in a much more typical EDM style setup. Although at least they do put her in a very cool retro car, which oh, is a yeah. Di Tommaso Mangusta. If you're nerdy enough about cars, but yeah, it doesn't really suit the futuristic vibe of it, but it's a cool car, so who gives a shit? Um, the computer graphics out the window of the car look fucking garb. <laughs> like just but real... it's 2001. Yeah, exactly, what so it's about as good as you could expect. But um, yeah, I think you're right, like sort of what you want with these video clips is you want to build to the... You want the best bit at the end, I think. Yeah. So her in that sort of white thing with the sort of yeah that's yeah. so you've got that really and that stands else. out that it's pretty done, amazing and know, then yeah, yeah they cut to a pretty generic bit after that so probably want to reverse those sequences mm. um like and daft then, punk would have just done that for four minutes that would have been sure, the and that's all video, exactly with, that's with like the red robots in the background yeah. for sure so this song was offered to both s club seven and sophie ellis bexter who both turned it down and those cunts shouldn't be turning anything down, no to be and honest. also so, they wouldn't have helped this you know i mean yeah this song wouldn't have been a hit so it's sort of like uh, i think in previous weeks where we spoke about last week where the the songwriter for um i can't one of the two from last week's kylie songs mentioned that oh who is this someone that's a yeah, nobody in america the, what was her name DiGiorno. yeah but then yeah. they saw the ass and she was like this is going to be this a hit. so i think it's <laughs> one of those things where by this stage, sort of Kylie yeah. hadn't, she'd sort of broken out of that just having hits in Australia and the UK yes. and having US hits. So it was effectively to the point where, you know, S Club 7 and Sophie Ellis Baxter turning it down was what you, that's a good thing. Yeah, Imagine oh, S Club absolutely. 7 did this. No, it would, no, it would fucking be fucking garbage. It. So yeah. exactly. So look, um, Kylie, 15 million Spotify's. We know that. Nine yep. cents for this. Don't know. Lyrical highlights? Um, yeah, it's a little bit odd. The, this song doesn't have any verses. It's just chorus and a weird sliding no, no, bridge no, no, thing, no, 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 no. which would become more common with yep. sort of the EDM type stuff. But yeah, um, there's a dark secret in me. Don't leave me locked in your heart. Set me free. Feel the need in me, set me free, stay forever and ever and ever and ever. 
Like, basically, this is the disco version of the twins from The Shining, really, yep. <laughs> which doesn't really suit the song, but it does give it a slight kind of oddness to it, which the Soul Wax version kind of uh, comes to as well. Like, it's a little bit... Like, spinning around is just disco. Like, it's fun, but it's just yep. sort of shiny, bright, sparkly disco, whereas this is a little bit weird, and that sort of kind of climb in the bridge is a strange as well. It's just a little bit weird and fun, yeah. Yeah, look, I think uh, 15 episodes ago or whatnot, we took a shit on Kylie and said her 80s output was <laughs> hot garbage, and I still stand by that. Yeah. This is where it really gets good. I, reckon, I think this is a, yeah. this period, last year and this year, these are the songs that are sort of, if someone's saying my favourite Kylie Minogue song is Locomotion, or especially if you with Jason Donovan... <laughs> Then they're fucking yeah, morons. Like yes. this is the period where a lot of dance, poppy dance songs that stand the test of yeah. time. Yeah, and she finally got to work with really good international yeah. collaborators, people who could give her this awesome image and give the design to her products and the, you yeah. know, like and and, and turn her weaknesses yeah. into a strength. Use her voice and her dancing and her physicality in an interesting way that really suits her. And yeah, like you say, the fact that people still listen to this stuff on the dance floor 20 years later, exactly. I don't know a lot of people listening to Locomotion still these no, days. It's, it's dog shit, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and it's probably around this time she launched her Kylie at Home range we've spoken about before. So <laughs> I think it's sort of it all came out casual. Exactly. Yeah. Um, speaking of longevity, Tom, up next is Afro Man because I got high. <laughs> Yes. One of your favourites? Yes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Afro Man captured lightning in a bottle on this one. He sure did. did. So or bong smoke. In, in a, a bottle. bottle. <laughs> bong smoke in a bong. He was never never able to sort of replicate the sort of bong smoke in a bong or lightning in a bottle again. But this was number one for three weeks. Uh, look, this is a song effectively about how one's quality of life could be severely degraded mm. due to smoking too much weed. And it must have resonated with a large portion of the population at the turn of the millennium. Oh, in the post-grunge era, yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, do you think you'd have to be fucked out of your mind to get any kind of enjoyment out of this whatsoever? (laughs) Or were you sort of uh, on board with this a bit more than sort of... I remember at the time going, I don't know about this. Yeah, yeah. It was the end of my sort of weed-smoking era, so yeah... I mean, but I, by the same token, I was like, well, I mean, yeah, this is, I mean, it's accurate in some ways. Yep. Ironically, Afro Man is quite prodigious. He sold 400 copies of a joke song he recorded on cassette about his teacher in grade eight who got him expelled for wearing baggy pants. Yeah. Uh, since then, he's released 32 albums and EPs <laughs> and he's still touring. Fuck in fact, yeah. I think he's headlining the next gathering of the Juggalos, Ben. Great. Am I joking? There's only one way to find out, and it starts with Googling Gathering of the Juggalos space, who can I hope to see in 2022, question mark. That's good, yeah. So, and then obviously going straight to Virgin Airlines and, you know, booking yourself a fucking ticket. Wow, those guys are going to go tropo after lockdown. Oh, boy. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, Afro Man released his album Because I Got High in 2000. He distributed it mainly through concerts. Uh, the title track was soon posted on file sharing service Napster and made it to the Howard Stern Show. Uh-huh. This song was the theme song of the film Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and went on from there. Yep. I think it's safe, so this makes it the our fifth movie song of the year. Yep. I think it's safe to call this a straight-up novelty song 
Although, given the Kevin Smith promotion, it could also be our number, th- you know, number five movie song of the year and the Lars Eric medal for second song to go viral thanks to file sharing after It Wasn't Me. But, yeah, um, I mean, was it a success anywhere else, though, other than Australia? It must have been big in America, surely. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, you're absolutely right in the sense I'm that... I too lazy to look that up. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't either. I didn't either, but... No, you're right in the sense that um, actually yeah, another film. Sorry, it was yeah. a big success in yeah. America. Please keep going. No, you're right that it's sort of another film thing, and I was sort of shitting on saying that there's no film songs anymore. We've had <laughs> a five this year, exactly. Yeah. But look, I think about the thing about this is that yeah, it is sort of a bit of an oldie song, and musically it sounds like it was composed on the shittiest Casio keyboard available at the time. It like does. sort of it just. Um, yeah, maybe, it's maybe it's, they were high. <laughs> probably, well, that's the thing. It's sort of it's self-referential in the sense that mm. it's sort of musically this sucks, but it's like, well, I was too high to bother recording a proper song. So, and yeah, music video is also directed by Kevin Smith and so. featuring Kevin Smith and you know Jay as well from the movie. It also features the extremely 2000 look on Afro Man of the inverted sun visor worn perpendicular to the face. Nice. (laughs) Which was the early aughts version of the petrol station Oakley's upside down on back of the neck look currently favoured by people carrying Trump 2023 signs. As as noted, this song featured prominently in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, but also in Disturbia, A Thousand Words and The Perfect Score which are all real films that definitely came out and were released. They're not just Photoshop posters knocked up by movie executives to pad out the early aughts, and if you touched one, they faded away like Marty McFly's hand in Back to the Future. (laughs) But Tom, you might be thinking, highly paid white male publishing executives with decades in the business wouldn't make a decision that stupid. Of course not, I'm just joking. So anyway, after a bunch of internet stoners emailed each other a funny song about weed that became a three-week hit, Universal Records signed Afro Man for a six-album contract, <laughs> leading to the current global popularity of all the other albums by Afro Man that you've heard of, Fuck. which are all about weed. I'm super, <laughs> super stoked that that dude, mate. So he got a pretty sweet record deal, did he, off the back of... Apparently so. And Tom, what are Afro Man's lyrical highlights? <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, if I went through them in detail, it could go for <laughs> The whole song is a little This has lot, nine verses. <laughs> yeah. uh, like a story told by a stone guy, it starts out funny, then goes on about three minutes after you've got the joke already. Uh, I was going to make love to you, but then I got high. I was going to eat your pussy too, but then I got high. Now I'm jacking off and I know why. Because <laughs> I got high, because I got high. Um, there is a secret tenth verse, uh, oh, which yeah. is only on some version. Uh, well, my name is Afro Man and I'm from East Palmdale and the tailweed I be smoking is bomb as hell. I don't believe in Hitler, that's what I said, which is a John Lennon reference of all okay. things. So all of you skins, please give me some head. Good, <laughs> Which good, is good. a skinhead's reference. I just thought that was weird. All the other lyrics are basically, I was going to do a thing, but then I couldn't because I was stoned. But um, yeah, every single other album. That, I mean, he did release five more albums under that record deal. Then Good. he's released, as I said, 20 more. But they uh, do seem to have a certain recurring theme about smoking weed. 
I hope that so, dude's like a billionaire just off the back of that where someone just went, let's sign this guy for seven hours. I know. So. I mean, to be fair to them, it was a bigger hit than you would think possible, like I said. And it was in a movie, but, you know, still, Absolutely. nonetheless. <clears throat> so three million uh, Spotify listeners for Afro Man. Yeah, so he's he's got, maybe he does like have a college audience or a, yep. an audience of uh, pot smokers. <laughs> I think 32 albums in, you're sort of going to have yeah, a few people. going to have some. A couple of songs here or there. Um, 19 cents on that from Discog, so good stuff. So, Tom, I think we're at the final song of the year, which is um, probably my favourite of the year. I don't know about you, but it's Alien Ant Farm Smooth Criminal. Wow, another eight eight weeks. Eight weeks of power. So, I think some of those sort of uh, get into next year, 2002. But look, Mm. is it brave to cover an iconic song with an iconic music video or a weak as shit move because you know that there's already an inbuilt fan base. Mm, I think you're, if you're thinking in terms of bravery in pop music, you're thinking in the wrong <laughs> Sorry. <direction. Yeah. laughs> You've still got that Generation X mindset where people gave a shit about musical credibility. Yeah, yeah. And if people worried about, mm, should we let Nissan use our song for their ad or not? <laughs> you know, Will people give us any credibility after that? That question's... That train has left the fucking yeah, station. That's true. Sorry, I've asked the wrong question. <laughs> no. With, so. no, but I mean, from a musical perspective, obviously, you know, it's a definitely a safe bet. Like, yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, some, yeah. I, I guess the sort of thing was if something is so, but I guess it's if something's yeah. so iconic, it's like. How can you top that? But true, but, but, true. but also the intention is never to top it. The intention is just to sort of ride on the coattails of something that's already popular mm. from a sort of a prior decade. Because I guess what? I think the Michael Jackson song came out probably in the mid-80s. So we're talking 15 years ago. So they're probably just like, yeah. let's just sort of do this. People know that and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but musically, they've changed it up a bit. I think they've they turned have. they've turned what was effectively a, you know a pop song into a rock song. Is this new metal? I don't know. It's bordering on it. Yeah, I don't think there's any scratching in it. No, nah, it's it's more just a sort of shitty rock song. I yeah. think. Yeah. So. They haven't, have they just copied Limp Biscuit doing Faith? Is that sort of what they've done? Possibly. I mean, I guess like Limp Biscuit doing Faith, I guess credit goes out for figuring out that this song would work really well if you rocked it out. Yeah. Which it does, to their credit. As Michael Jackson himself regularly demonstrated in the 90s, a lot of Michael Jackson songs don't work if you try to rock them <laughs> yeah, out. True, yeah. Black or white springs to mind. Yeah. Especially if your concept of rock is trapped back in 1981, along with your taste in fashion and sexual partners. Mm. So, you know, I'll give them that, you know. Yeah, look, that's fair enough. You're right. So they sort of um, they've figured out that this song could be rocked up to make it into a hit. Yes, so and then yet it retains its danceability, like yeah. sort of No Doubt's last album. They managed to, if you can actually nail that awkward dance rock thing, then yeah, people will play you in nightclubs, but you can still have guitars and actual drumming and 
lyrics and stuff, which are bonuses of not having EDM being exactly. the primary so, genre. Look, interestingly, this was a top 10 hit in a lot of countries. It made top oh, okay. 10 all over the place, but it was only number one in Australia oh, and God. for eight weeks. So eight we're the ones too. that just went, we fucking love this and it we want eight weeks got of it. played so. a lot. I do remember I remember it, yeah. I remember at the time it just being fucking everywhere forever <laughs> and it was. So, yeah. uh, look, the first single that was released off this album was uh, called movies mm. and it's about as bad as music gets it's extraordinarily yeah. bland and just total dog shit but a, a radio station in LA started playing Smooth Criminal instead as they sort of realised it was better than movies which is sort of yeah. you know faint praise because that is <laughs> fucking terrible but the popularity of Smooth Criminal on the radio led to the record company releasing it as a single and the rest is history, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, so, yeah. movies is definitely not new metal. It's just sketchy post-grunge played by nerds. Oh, They're exactly. like a sort of grunge, bare-naked ladies, Ben, and nobody asked for that. Did you ask for that, Ben? <laughs> I definitely I didn't. I, didn't. I certainly didn't want that. <laughs> yes. Without a shadow of a doubt. So. But look, um, these dudes are pretty much the definition of what unremarkable band that gets record deal off the back of a cover that in a live setting people must have sort of uh, you know got moving to so I Mm. mean I don't know whether that sort of I don't really know how these guys got a record deal but it sort of sounds like these guys these guys play this in a live setting and there's some A&R guy there going oh man the crowd's going crazy let's sign them up and do that it's still 2001 you know they're uh an older bunch of music executives, as we have mentioned previously this year, who are still thinking 10 years earlier. And they're still thinking, these guys sound a bit like that grunge stuff, you know? Yep. They've they've got their music, they've got songs, people, kids will go for this, won't they, you know? Yeah. That could be the next life house. (laughs) Absolutely. But look, the album that this song came from was called anthology ant uh, anthology okay, yep. so they really leaned in and it's, oh, I guess they went all in on that ant theme so because <laughs> the next album was called true ant God. and the ant was all capitalized as well so yep. they had a whole logo and everything and yeah exactly look the record label refused to release their third album <laughs> I assume because the material was just too far ahead of its time was and they were just waiting they just, I don't know if it was they were just waiting for the right moment to not shoot and antith- ant- antithesis <laughs> of good music I think it's probably what yes. it's called so they were just waiting for the right moment but it turned out in 2006 the record label finally went now is the time to drop this third album <laughs> yeah that's when and we uh, it reached 114 on the billboard charts so maybe it was released too soon they probably needed to let that guy cook for a little bit more and see what, what happened what's so, called do you know oh can't even, I didn't, I didn't bother looking it up, to be honest. It's so. 100% is an ant pun, isn't Cause it? Because the, these guys are, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we've spoken about it before. They're a one-hit wonder based off a cover, which is the worst type of one-hit True. wonder that there I exists. I mean, it's so. a good cover, though. I'll stand oh. up for it. It is, it is a good cover, as covers go. And, you know, as you say, the cover is always... It, oh, cool. exactly. And, it and the, the video was like a sort of Michael Jackson cover video, too, you know, like... 
Absolutely, yeah, for sure. I mean, the music video parodies sort of a lot of Michael Jackson yeah, cliches. Yeah, it's like a best so, of Michael Jackson thing. Yeah, so there's sort of, I think there's a bit with bubbles, the chimp, and <laughs> yeah. sort of the moonwalk, the lit up footpath they use. So Yeah, they've got this amazing little kid. It must have been someone that they knew because he's not in the band. He looks like he's about 11 and he can legit do Michael Jackson's moves like a exactly, young Corey yeah. Feldman, you know, he can actually yeah, yeah, do the sure. whole thing, you know. And I guess that was sort of cool that they did that and sort of went oh let's sort of do the light hearted stuff the yeah. Chimp, yeah the kid with the moonwalk the light up footpath I don't I can't I don't know but I don't think in the video clip they touched on him sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber with an eight year old boy so no they cut that they out they cut that so, yeah. part <laughs> um, but apparently when Michael Jackson saw the video he was like happy with it but he asked that a scene with a boy in a surgical mask be removed mm-hmm. because it you know because of his medical condition he sort of didn't want them to parody mm. him with his medical condition. Which but specific look, medical condition was that? I think it was COVID-19, Tom. <laughs> I think that um, he was from the future sent back in time mm. with that and that's sort of how it works. So, because we've all got those masks now. Michael Jackson, fashion-wise, he was ahead, ahead of his time. time. Yeah, yes. no, definitely. So, look, the, the lead singer from Alien Ant Farm also had a stripe shaved down the middle oh, of his head, if yes. you can recall that. And it I was ahead actually, of its time too because yeah. everyone has that now. So. <laughs> exactly. I can actually remember the stripe shaved down the middle of the head more than I can the music which says something about the music I guess so and two of the members used to be in a Primus cover band mm, so they've got that energy they I, do. I feel that sort of um, look I'm going to admit something Tom much like I saw Scandalous in a Woolworths car park I saw this live at the big day out back in 2002 did I think, you I rock out Ben? oh absolutely so no, I remember sort of walking from one thing to another thing and it was like alien ant farms in that tent and I remember sort of, I sort of very, very, very sort of, you know, clearly remember um, standing there and a lot of people were walking past and just sort of like going, are they going to play Smooth Criminal? And, they, and that was it. They'd play an original song and everyone was just like, the crowd was flat as a tack. And then it was just like, Smooth Criminal. And it's like, oh. And then they finally played at the end and everyone just went, oh, it's fine, I guess. So, but it was sort of like... The the sort of I mean the the response know. to the original material was so the crowd was so underwhelmed. Yes. And then when they played the cover that everyone wanted to hear, it was just sort of like, oh yeah, it's okay. It's sort of just this is the this is the sad devil's bargain that you make for <laughs> hitching your wagon <laughs> to someone else's cover. Yeah. yeah, exactly right for sure. So look, um, I guess it, this sort of raises a question as well: who's worse in the scenario of the suicide bomber? Mm. that walks into a crowded marketplace and detonates the bomb, you know, the backpack, killing himself and dozens of people? Or is it the person that's recruiting and funding terrorism? Mm. Mm. I mean, it's Mm. probably, I I assume it's the latter, that person that's sort of, you know, out there getting the kids involved. They're putting the financial backing towards it. You know, the, the, the... the guy that's detonating the bomb is merely a pawn in the game, I guess. And I guess in much the same way, Alien Ant Farm, you know, they're not abusing any children, but by covering this song, the royalties are effectively funding child abuse. That is true. So (laughs) I don't want to say that Alien Ant Farm are worse than Michael Jackson, but I think what I am saying is Alien Ant Farm are worse than Michael Jackson. I see, I see. Well, I'm glad we have that on the record. It is on the record. I'm, I'm, you know, that's a hill I'll die on, Tom, (laughs) the fact that 
It's an know. alien ant farm you'll die on. Oh, for sure. Without <laughs> the fu- without the royalties from this song, I don't think Michael Jackson would have had you know the financial ability no. to do what he ended up doing. So no, you're quite I'm saying right. that right there. So these guys are the worst people. And this is definitely post pedophile Michael Jackson. <laughs> <This is laughs> Definitely well. postpaid, well postpaid, without a shadow of a doubt. Lyrical highlights? Um, sure. Well, I think most people, including me until yesterday, thought that he was repeating Eddie, are you okay? Yep. But he's not. He's saying Annie, are you okay? Yep. Supposedly that was inspired by Rasasa Annie, which was a dummy used in CPR training in America for a long period of time, which I guess Michael Jackson got at some point for reasons that I'm 100% sure were healthy and normal. It sounds dumb, but apparently part of the training involved repeatedly asking, Annie, are you okay? So, oh, you know, okay. either that. That's what the internet claims, and as we know, the internet is never wrong or contains bullshit information. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, there's not many notes other than perhaps that the song should be called Extremely Shit Criminal because it's about a guy who tries to sneak up to a house, gets immediately seen before he's inside, smashes a window in a crescendo of noise, leaves bloodstains on the carpet, which must be his own. I'm assuming he's cut himself to fuck on broken glass, then goes straight to the bedroom where the person's asleep and kills them. Yeah. So yeah, that's really smooth. I'm sure his DVD player at Cash Converters was worth the murder charge he got. <laughs> Look, I have a feeling that CSI Miami might have been able to solve that one, Tom. I'm not quite sure um, how that sort of works out. But you sort of get to verse three and you're like, oh, I thought he was going to do something. Like there was going to be some, you know, like, he's, you know, like even for a hitman, that's fucking terrible. Yeah, pretty bad. Like, Absolutely awful, just really, really bad. But look, what I will say is that, um, <clears throat> sorry, why we have sort of uh, shat on uh, Michael Jackson in the past on this podcast <laughs> for being a, a sexual predator. What I will say is that uh, the actual original video clip for this, you know, he, oh, he's, he's flipping the coin yeah, into the jukebox. Yes. He's wearing the white suit. He's doing the lean. There's a lot of dance yep. moves. It is very good. It's amazing. It yep. still holds up these days. Uh, it's also the centerpiece of the film Moonwalker. Does that hold up as well as the video? I think this, the uh, Sega Master System game Moonwalker certainly holds oh, up. It certainly so, yeah. does. I think in that game you hunt children from their hiding places and rescue them <laughs> from um, Joe Pesci, who I believe was trying to get kids addicted to drugs, which of course would have been a fate far worse than anything that could have happened to you after you were rescued by Michael Jackson. Look, I've not seen uh, Moonwalker, Jesus, for a long time. Oh, no. I I think it might be worth a revisit, though. It sounds like it might be the sort of weirdest (laughs) shit ever. I mean, Michael Jackson as the scarecrow in The the Wiz is some of the creepiest shit laid to tape, so I don't really know either. I I can barely remember it, but from what I've heard, it was something along the lines of Michael Jackson, people trying to write a film based around the themes that Michael Jackson liked, and then every few days he would ring them up at 4am from watching something on television in the middle yeah, of the night and weird. say I want this in the film yeah. so it's got like an animated segment because he wanted to be the road runner a bit in a bit and then he'd watch Transformers and he'd go I want to turn into a robot and they'd go oh, fucking hell 
All right, and then and I want to save children, and then just, so yeah. I should revisit this because it sounds like it might be the worst film of all time. It so. does sound entertainingly terrible. I think I'll check and see if it's on Netflix because it sound, it also seems like the kind of thing that might benefit actually having half decent sound and oh, no doubt. And, and visuals as opposed to a shitty old VHS, which is where I would have watched it originally. Probably Definitely. taped off Southern Cross with. <laughs> Warren Von use of the word so, shit edited out exactly so look that's the end that's it this week that's all the hits thank you uh, look peek at number two Tom I'm going to just go through I'm Like a Bird by Nelly Furtado oh, my kids one. like to sing I'm Like a Turd I well, like to flush away so. I can't blame them no exactly frankly. so uh, Hole Again by Atomic Kitten I like to sing Hole Again <laughs> Don't Stop Moving by S Club 7, oh. one of my favourites. Fucking fantastic. Miss Jackson by Outcast. How You Remind Me by Nickelback. <laughs> See, now that is, that's the start of the post-post grunge era. And uh, Strawberry Kisses by Nikki Webster, oh, which is pretty good. Uh, peaking at number three, Betty Davis Eyes by Gwyneth Paltrow. Fucking <laughs> hell. Jesus Christ. I assume that was from... <laughs> The uh, the Possibly. the duets video clip. I don't really know. Another decent song that does not deserve that no. treatment. Purple Pills by D12. So another <laughs> sort of Eminem's side hustle. Yeah. getting up there. That was I'm, a catchy song. I'm real by Jennifer Lopez, proving once again how real she was. Mm, by she's of, just yeah, Jenny from the she's block. Very real. Um, and then other hits include one of my favourites of all time, Tom Butterfly by Crazy Town at number four. Oh so. yes, they were another sort of sublime style come guitar, lady, come, drum, come <laughs> drum track band. Yeah, that well, they were like a rap metal terrible band, and they yes. had this one song that um, didn't do that, but it was just a Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, sample Knock that off. they rapped over. So yep. good stuff. Arms Wide Open by Creed. <sighs> Ass wide open. That's definitely. And uh, let me blow your mind by E featuring Gwen Stefani. So there's some of the songs that make it to okay. number one. But you know, all of those are you know, probably worse or better than the ones we talked about. It's Who been knows? a mixed year, but I've we've definitely done worse. Oh no doubt, exactly. So cool. Thanks for listening. Um, Spotify, check what YouTube playlist. Um, got an Instagram thing that. Whatever, doesn't matter. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week for 2002. See you later.